Oh no, it's the nerds who haunted themselves. And then I sprayed my dirty business everywhere. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Nerds Who Isolated Themselves, episode nine. Uh, I'm Stuart Moraine, and I'm joined as always by uh, Andy Hanks. And we are joined in our uh, metaphorical third chair uh, by a special guest, um, Mr. Steve Sims. Hello, Steve. How are you? Hi, guys. How's it going? Hello, mate. Good to hear your voices. Yeah, it's uh, a bit hot, isn't it? <laughs> are you all, yeah how are you all coping with the heat have you melted yet well i'm one of those really annoying people that loves the sun and doesn't really feel the heat so i'm, I'm just sat here enjoying it as much as i can after all those months of rain and cloud and all the cold wintriness and that sun comes out i'm just like yeah cook me in my seat i love it <laughs> And that was Steve so Sims. Steve. Yep. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't get a chance to spray my dirty business everywhere. Plug That's my potentially stuff. going to be the title of this episode. It, it was <laughs> going to be nerd hunting battle badges, but I'm thinking spraying dirty business. <laughs> we might Here attract a different crowd. Here he comes, plugging his stuff and spraying his dirty business everywhere. <laughs> get your brollies up. That's definitely going in the blurb somewhere. Uh, you you uh, came up in conversation in our house earlier because my youngest son through school has been reading um, Beast Quest books. Oh, wow. Every so often I checked the front to see who the illustrator was and he finally brought one home with your name in it. Oh, amazing. <laughs> well, I've, I've done most of them, but there are ones out there that don't have my name in the front. So, uh, yeah. Even, even though like... you've actually done the illustration? Um, well, no, I... I I get sort of credited in the ones where I've done the internals. I've always okay. uh, designed the covers as well, but um, that's me and another artist doing those together. But the in- internals pretty much get credited to me. But I think like in the early first series, first or second series, I was busy on other jobs. So um, I had to get in other artists to fill those up before I could come on and do the rest. But I've like the 140 books there are, I've done like 120 of them. So me. yeah so basically you're like the colin baker of a uh, beast quest where it's easier to find a colin baker dvd signed by him is one that hasn't been. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah very much so very much so no I, as soon as i found out you had done him, i'd started checking the books i think he's on like it's on his fourth one he's brought him i don't think he's reading them in any particular order right i think it's just whatever he can get from the school library but yeah, well, it's weird, really, because I've done so many. I look back at the early ones and I sort of cringe at the artwork. Um, so if, if you get the later ones, some of the artwork's not too bad. <laughs> and the recent ones, I'm trying to make it as good as I possibly can. But, yeah, some of it you look at and go, oh, yeah, definitely some of Steve's earlier work this. <laughs> well, that's what he said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fair, fair review. Out the mouth of babes and all that. He said, I know I'm only nine, but he's definitely improved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can see he's struggling on this. Tight deadlines. <laughs> but 
but no, it's a uh, you can you can tell it's yours kind of thing. Is I take it you did, there isn't a house style or no, that was the good thing about it really is they um, they came to us the publisher and said we've got this series that we're starting. We've got a a main first cover image and uh, an image of the main kid, but it was the back of him as he was looking out across a landscape. So they wanted basically someone to just take that and run with it. And it was um, it was fancy stories for kids. So I was like, yeah, give it to me. I'll, I'll do my best on it. And so it was then a case of coming up with the characters and, and doing what I could in the time given to hit the deadline. And the first one, first book they liked. So then they gave me more. And the more they gave me, the more I tried to put into it to make it look cool. And um, yeah, they liked it. People seemed to like my artwork. And it just carried on from there and still going now. Have you ever designed a character and then thought, actually, I like that a bit too much. That's for later Battle Badgers. <laughs> well, the, the thing was, like, people see my Battle Badgers stuff and they say, oh, do you, you ever going to do a story with human characters in it? And I, and I sort of say, well, I've, all my work on Beast Quest, like 120 books or whatever, is mainly human characters. So with <laughs> Battle Badgers, it was me cutting a bit more loose and, and working a bit freer and thinking okay i'm not gonna stress over these human characters i want to move to a more cartoony ninja turtlesy you know like asterisk style of, of loosey-goosey cartooning because i just know it would move quicker and i can make those characters move um make them flow better than having to sort of worry about all the anatomy of humans and things yeah but um but yeah i'm not against yeah i can't imagine you get many people telling you that a badger wouldn't move that way exactly yeah i mean i'm not against bringing human characters into the battle badgers world um it's just i, I want them to be there for a reason rather than yeah. just sort of shoving them in for the sake of it but yeah there are certain certain um maybe like armor designs or weapon designs right i look at and think oh that that is cool i should have should have kept hold of that but i just think, oh well I'll, I'll do a variation in my own stuff <laughs> that's awesome but so what what else have people been up to since well andy since the last time we spoke and steve since well the last time we spoke which was what why comics god knows how long ago <laughs> yeah gosh yeah a long time ago so. How have we all been surviving the end of lockdown? Freedom Day. <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. I don't see any difference. No, it's just more twats on the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I don't, don't think it's the end of anything, to be honest, personally. No, I, I, I think it's potentially the start of the next thing, to be honest. <laughs> we're, we're approaching what will be the, the peak of this third wave. And yeah. we need to see what happens after this peak, because this will be a peak with lots of people vaccinated. And we also need to see how it is really going to affect youngsters. I mean, they look like they can deal with it better, um, stronger systems and all that. But we don't know the full extent as to what long COVID as an effect has on people. Um, so it could be that they're not getting properly you know, threatened by disease with regards to having to be hospitalised and things like that. But they could be suffering from flu-like symptoms for, say, three months or four months, which is going to affect your life quite a bit. So Yeah, I mean, it's just so difficult to plan anything, yeah. either on a personal level for planning holidays or trying to... I mean, I think by the t- time this comes out, we'll, well, we'll be on the cusp of making the announcement, but I don't think Troops will be back in 2022. It's just 
not something we can well it's too much of a risk conceivably do so all of that together and think okay everything's looking fine and then you get a new variant and everything you set up and put in place all of a sudden just gets whipped out from underneath you well that's it and we're not a big we're not like a read pop or something like that so it could on a personal level put me in financial difficulty and i don't want other people to be out of pocket i know there are people that'll be like don't worry about it just roll it over but there's no guarantee for when you can roll over to yeah i mean all power to people who are running ahead with them i mean it looks like meanwhile's happening thought bubble still planned to happen so yeah best of luck to them and and hope they do manage to to run a sort of safe and successful con And, and if they do then hopefully you know we can learn the way they do it what they have set up and how they manage to overcome the the possible variables or the fact that things could get pulled out from under underneath them and if they can make it work then you know maybe others can but you you have to approach it as skeptically as possible because otherwise like you say you just get yourself in a hell of a lot of trouble that's it and it's hard enough to organize as a sort of mostly one-man band as it is without then having to figure in covid restrictions vaccination passports or whatever they decide to bring in so yeah yeah and I'd rather be able to know I could do it well and correctly than sort of budget and, uh, you know, yeah, pe- and it, plead forgiveness afterwards kind of thing. Well, it's tricky as well because the very nature of a good con is everyone's getting in there, sort of milling around the, the lanes and shaking hands. And it's, it. it's a dirty pass- germ farm sweatbox, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> it's a big, cheery bunch of sweaty buggers all nerding out and... All spreading their dirty filth. Exactly, spreading their dirty business all over each other. Yeah. And when you start... <laughs> that's not the title of your hip hop album. Do you remember? do you remember the time when the term variance basically was to do with comic books? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. I went out and tried to collect all the variants because. <laughs> yeah, because you thought they might be worth something. It's, it's the way I've been raised. I sent them yeah, off to yeah. CGC. <laughs> Got them slabbed. Yeah. And he came back as a 9.2. Very disappointed. I don't get all that slabbing I stuff. I don't. It winds me up. I'm, a, I'm on several comic book collectors groups on Facebook, just because occasionally an issue that I want pops up. But, um, yeah, the amount of people that are like, oh, I've just got this back from being slabbed. It's like they pay like the best part of 90 quid to get them slabbed sometimes. I just don't get it either. I mean, like, some of the Ninja Turtles... Uh, sites that I follow because you know there are like you said there's certain issues you keep an eye out for and people say oh, I'm selling my 9.7 because I want a 9.8 or 9.9 it's like it, who cares what does it matter just Is open it up and have a look yeah. at it and feel the paper in your fingers and smell the nice ink and you know that's that old matte paper and, and the ink those old 80s comics there's nothing like it that smell so the ones people get slapped as well are worthless. No yeah. offence. I mean, they have a personal value to the owner. But for the money you're spending on getting them slapped, it really can't be worth it in the long run. I've got my, um, I've got, a, I think, a second or third printing of Ninja Turtles number one. I've just got it in the drawer with the rest of my comics. It's in a little mm. placky wallet thing. But, yeah, it's given to me by a good mate and... I always get out and read it and stuff. I don't want to 
chuck it in some sort of plastic coffin and never actually look at it what's the point of that well no because even if you get it in a trade which it's in multiple trades but it's not the same as actually owning actually having the thing it's like i got a facsimile version of it that came with a turtles vault book or something i got a few years ago oh yeah the uh, is it the visual history book that's it yeah and it comes with a issue one sort of tucked yeah. in the back doesn't it yeah but, which is nice but it's not i mean i've never seen issue one in person only in reprints and occasionally when they whip it out on comic book men or something but yeah but yeah it's uh it's, i'm i'm trying to get the because i jumped in the idw wave halfway through it because i didn't even realize turtles had come back in comics it was pretty cool. Uh, so I think I was about 20 issues in by the time I got onto it, just because a guy in my local comic shop hadn't been in to collect his stuff. So there was about six months worth there. I was like, I'll take a punt on him. That's cool. I think that about 20 issues in was when I think it really started to get good. I think that's when you started to get people like Mateus Santoloco coming on as an artist. Yeah. And he just, he's insane. He's so good. So it's, good. They're so great as well. They, it's like they've taken little bits of everything and combined it. I they mean, have, yeah. I'm quite a few issues behind at the moment just because of life tends to get in the way and they start to pile up. You can get some really nice trades of them now as well. Yeah, I'm getting the ultimate collections of the original runs at the moment. Oh, that's so, cool. I've got three volumes of that coming for my birthday. Excellent, so, excellent. I'm uh, gradually <clears> working back through it. But again, I'm not one... I'm not going to pay stupid prices for stuff, though. So. No, no. It, it, it's always more fun if you can find it for a bargain and, and get a, a big chunk of it, sit down and just consume it all in one. Well, it's that, and I know that when I die, my wife's just going to either skip it or uh, give it to the local charity shop and they'll skip it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Partly because, you know, if she believes that I paid the price for some of the things I've got that she, I told her I paid the price for them, she's like, worthless. <laughs> she listen to this. No, of course she doesn't. <laughs> I said you'd said something on the last one, but I couldn't remember what it was. I told her she'd have to listen to this to find out what it was. She was like, nah, can't be asked. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, what about you, Andy? Anything exciting been going on? Uh, not really. Still quite bogged down in commissions at the moment. Um, busy with work. What else is going on? Really? Nothing much. I live a very dull life. Oh, well, I completed my collection of Mark There you go. Oh, you did, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that my from collection. diving in the box in Jackson's? Um, yes, main, Which, mainly diving in the box. Um, diving in the box to do your dirty business. That's the one. What um, was the rare pen you were trying to get? What was the uh, the chase pen? A chase pen. <laughs> well, did no, you get I do a have a couple. Yes, I got them slammed, yeah. Um, <laughs> there are a few, it's weird, there are a few that, a bit like used to, I'll probably never use, but I had to get this to complete my collection. I got a fluorescent pink, which is basically a highlighter pen. Um, but I just so I can go in the slot. Oh, I got the Pro Marker, Neo Marker ones, and they're, yeah, essentially a highlighter pen. <laughs> they don't even look very good when I use them. I'll probably yeah. use them better, but... Uh, but, but honestly, that's that's kind of it, really. We're kind of stuck in a rut, and um, yeah, I'm up to most nights at about one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, get on with some commissions. Oh, that's I'd cool. Is that what we're calling it now? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, taking those photos for the OnlyFans account. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> 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 <My> secret <laughs> OnlyFans. 
Well, I am Zuta Law. <laughs> so is and it... they're only watching it for the uh, lizard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the chameleon. Pops Not a euphemism. Awesome. See if it wakes up. <laughs> it's colour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so is that um robot commissions like paintings so yeah um i i don't know what's happened and i've gone mad in, in um because i think it's because i've been featured on a couple of instagram stores i've, I've kind of been quite popular recently because i got featured on the wacom website on the wacom instagram page yeah i saw and, that and um great <clears throat> and uh, I, I got from there. I got picked up by a, a company called. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on here actually. Uh, called TV Paint, and they're a software company. I've personally never really heard of them, but they're an, they produce animation software. Um, apparently, quite a big deal. Um, Disney used them and everything. Uh, they used it for their storyboards, their, their first draft storyboards. Uh, so I was asked to do some images um to promote because they were hosting there's an animation festival in canada that they were going to host one of the um sponsor one of the awards so they asked me to do do some images in their software some paintings in their software so they could use it for the award and yeah then from there i got approached by computer game company in tokyo wow um i've produced a few images for that uh, none of these has really been released yet so you know but i'm going to talk about it i've done it and yeah. um yeah recently this been uh, a couple of days ago i've been reached out by a company in chicago um for it was a special effects company and they would like a um a mascot a robot mascot and they saw my website i think they saw me on tv paint and they like my yeah, so they've reached out for me, which is really that's, exciting. That's wicked, mate. It's amazing. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you. And plus that, and uh, you know, I've got quite a few dogs to do. I, do, I paint lots of dogs as well, so I've got a few dogs to do and uh, portraits of children and things. But no, I've been very busy. If you look at my Instagram feed, I've posted hardly anything this year, but it doesn't mean I've stopped. I'm working harder than ever. <laughs> that's the way it really goes. That's the way it goes. Usually, like when things start to slow down, like when you're when you're posting stuff, it's because you just got so much other stuff to do. Exactly, and I'm just not sketchbooking at the moment, you know. Yeah, that's that's the excuse I'm going to go with for not posting much on Instagram, (laughs) and not that it's too hot that I just can't be asked to draw. (laughs) If you find drawing in this heat, obviously, Steve, it doesn't affect you. (laughs) Because you're immune to it. (laughs) But I just. I've got no drive to draw at the minute and when i do try our hands get so sweaty here comes the sexy talk by the way um <laughs> but yeah i just end up either smudging the pencil on the paper or it's just yeah it's horrible it's, it's, it's difficult again you can take this either way but having your, your hands can kind of stick to the screen a bit and think, i've got one of those black banking glove things <laughs> yeah which just makes your hands sweatier <laughs> <laughs> it does, but at least it slides over the screen okay. Yeah, I might just but, feel like, you know, I've got, put my hand in a glove filled with Vaseline or something. <laughs> well, because I'm, we uh, I'm incredibly technical, I too have a, uh, a wanking glove, but it's an old sock with some holes cut into it. <laughs> and, I, and I use that for my iPad when I'm, I'm painting on it. Just You've got a cock sock. <laughs> a cock sock, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I looked online. <laughs> I was I was painting and, it, and my hand 
was obviously interfering and, and moving the painting. And I was like, this isn't any good. So I looked online and people said about getting one of those magic Michael Jackson glove things. Mm. And um, I thought, well, hang on, that's just like a sock with some holes in it. So just went and grabbed the sock, cut some holes in it. And so that's my, that's my version anyway. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> So well, did I'm you waiting for the, the in the out? studio video where you've got a sock on your hand now. <laughs> yeah. You should stick some googly eyes on it and say it's a sock puppet. Give it a yeah, character's name. Just, just a socko. Just talk to it while you're drawing. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Mr. Socko? <laughs> yeah, the other pair, the other one of the pair is my spare. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, where's this going <laughs> said Mr. Uh, Mr. Socko's twin <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh dear but no, that, that's um, that's awesome especially like Thank the video you, game man. stuff and things like that I mean yeah it's it's going to be an ongoing thing I think because uh, she, she uh, I was basically contacted um, just for a, a couple of images uh, my producer's images um, they did say they'll be back in the very near future for some more work. So that's quite exciting. I don't know anything about this game. Um, I, I know it's an app game, and that's about as much as I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that and, um, and the character design one I'm quite excited about because that is what I want to do. You know, I want to yeah. be a character designer and this kind of, you know, ticks all my boxes, really. Robot character design, you know, I'll have a go at that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the way to do it. You just put all your efforts into things that you find interesting and then people Absolutely. people appreciate your efforts and then throw you more stuff and you just just keep ticking on like that, really. Goes from there. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, cool. it's just finding the time because I work a full time job as well. What is the full time um, job? A graphic designer. Right. OK. Um, so still kind of arty based. Yeah. yeah. Variation but, um, on a theme. It is, yeah. basically, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so working for my job, coming home, saying hello to my wife for about an hour, and then getting on with it, getting on with my night job. Yeah, uh, I do enjoy it. I really enjoy it. My wife's kind of burning the candle a little bit, but so yeah. is it is it the case where you want to transition from design into doing character design full time for computer games and things? The the, the problem it in an idea world, yeah. Uh, the problem is um, without you know bragging too much um i get paid quite a good wage so i'm trying yeah. to make it work and there's, there's no way i could just by leaving that place at the moment yeah um you know and I, i've got a company car and things like that and um yeah so it's one of those things where at the moment it's working really well and i'm going to carry on with something quite magnificent i'll have to turn up in order for me to yeah change, of course you know? yeah no and that sounds sensible you but know, also, and in fact, this was a question I was going to ask you as well at one point. Um, when money, I mean, I take it, obviously, you, you've drawn from a young age, you know, you, it's, it's, you draw a lot and you sketch a lot. But doing it as a job when there's proper money involved, does it change things? As in, does it make it a little bit more, obviously, you've got the pressure behind it now, but do you still find yourself drawing for fun? Yeah, 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 I do. I, with the money side of stuff, I've always kind of cheated in that I've always tried to push myself towards working for a company or, you know, working mm. with a studio. So I don't have to, like, if you're freelancing, you've got to 
be aware of the money and the time you're spending on every project yeah um, whereas I still have to do that in the studio because obviously my um, project manager or, or boss or whoever in the studio will say look don't spend more than six hours on that because you'll go over budget so you still have to think about that but you you don't at the end of the month have to look at all of the time and the money and do all that numbers side of stuff so I, I that stuff it takes away a bit of my enjoyment you know all that sort of drags mm. me down all that sort of stuff so I'm like look someone else think about the money side of things I will do everything as quickly and as efficiently as I can just give me the next bit of work so I can keep like rolling on the creative side of stuff I don't want to stop and have to get my calculator out and work this out and work that out and because that that takes me a long time whereas yeah. actually, actually drawing and being creative that's where I'm you know I'm efficient and I'm good at that so yeah it's me for that rather than the, the money side of stuff <laughs> which is why with the, the kickstarter it took me a little bit longer than it probably does other people because that's me mm. having to grow up a little bit and do my calculations and make sure everything is in the right place and so I had to do that sort of baby steps mm. uh, absolutely to me that's exactly what takes all the fun out of it you know having to do all the you know uh, uh, but yeah I, I oh, well, I'm not going to say this oh I'm going to say this out loud but I'd happily it's almost like I'd happily do it for free you know obviously you don't want to that's when people take the piss but to me it's not about the money it's about creating the art and do you know what I mean? And getting the name out there and things like that. Yeah, and well, that's so, what I think that's the hardest bit for me. Yeah, so much of any sort of creative or or something that's that personal, you have to play to the strengths of what is driving you to do it. You know, you have to realise what is what I in order to get this done, it's going to take an awful lot of energy and time. So I just need to make sure I'm leaning towards the the most positive things and the most inspirational things for me to do it so trying to not get distracted by you know tv video games try not to get dragged down by the the money side of it or anything like yeah. that just getting into the actual creativity of it and that's where your best work will come out mm. and obviously if pe people see your best work then they're going to ask you to do work for them and of course they're going to say well how long did that take you to do so you've always got to kind of think well that picture took me say a week to do that painting and from a professional side of things you probably only get say a day and a half to do it so you have to realize that you need to kind of yeah. yourself a bit with the amount of time you're putting into it it's finding that balance yeah i see so <clears throat> since you're giving you're limiting yourself sorry Stu. Sorry. if you're kind of limiting yourself with the time as well are you ever worried that maybe you're not making it as good as you could make it or is that not really is that think, kind of not really the point well I think it's because I've worked um I've always tried to work quick and I've and I've worked for a long time under quite a lot of time pressure with regards to the project or what the client wants I'm used to um something coming in and me doing sort of like a burst of creativity on it and then mm. having to move on to something else and then move on to something else. Okay. So it's, so I, I try not to be too precious on, on things. I just try and put everything I can into it in that original burst. And then a client will look at it and they'll say, let's change this and let's tweak that. And so the, 
the picky side of it is when I get to approach it again after the client has made their comments, you know, you, rather than being too so, precious with it from from the start, you know, mm. it's, it's trying to be quite loose and creative at the start. And then the detail and tightening things up comes later when you can afford to do it, if you've got the time. Mm. Oh, I see. So are you quite, yeah, when it comes, when it comes with, um, <clears throat> with working with clients and then bringing, giving back feedback, did you have to grow your thick skin? Is there, was there a time where you kind of took it a bit personal or? Um, I think I've all, I've, I've always been very critical of my own work. So yeah. if somebody looks at it and says, that's not very good or that's not good enough, a lot of the time I'll say, well, I know that myself. <laughs> I know that bit's mm, not good. That's a bit wonky. Um, so, yeah, you know, OK, let's try and make that better. Uh, so, like, the, the thick skin is kind of has always been there from the point of view where I've, I've always thought, well, there's so many people better than me doing this. I'm lucky to be here doing this at all, you know, like. Uh, if, so if someone, is it a bit of the imposter syndrome kind of thing? oh yeah yeah definitely i think i think most creative people get it because yeah especially with things like instagram and the internet when you've just got to open it up and see all the amazing artwork that's out there and you just think oh, how on earth am i is anyone asking me to do anything compared to all these other people so you you instantly think you're not good enough but then you then you sort of think well it doesn't matter there's always going to be people better than me but mm. what what you do have is a desire to do it you know the ability to sit down and put the time into it and have the attention span to create something and it may not be like the most amazing thing in the world it may not be as good as what you see on the internet but it will be as good as you what can you do, can do. what you can do Absolutely. yeah exactly and and as long as you still have the fire to do the next thing that next thing you do will be better than the last thing you did yeah and you just keep going like that really I see. Well, thank you. <laughs> no worries. But your, I mean, your your work has has just like come on in in huge leaps and bounds. Every new thing you put up, I'm a bit oh, like, thank you. I'm like flipping it because I, I remember it's like probably about four years ago um, after one of the troops and you sent me an email asking about creating characters and painting. That's and it. Like that. Yeah. And sent because you were working on a, I think it might have been like a, a Robo Mario at the time. I think it might like oh, a robot version of Mario and said, I'm not sure about yeah. this or that. And we just had a bit of a chat back and forth when I yeah, sent you my yeah, character exactly designs. That. And then the next thing you put up, the next thing I know, it's like, what's he worried about? He's, he's already there already. And, it, and then it just <laughs> started you. coming thick and fast, getting better and better and better with the odd, yeah. the odd naked lady with her boobs out. Yeah, which is Boob- every Tuesday. Booby Tuesday. <laughs> Booby Tuesday. Not absolutely. always a naked lady. No, sometimes a Todger Tuesday. Oh, you only tend to put up the booby ones. (laughs) (laughs) Keeps the Todger ones to himself. (laughs) Well, I do, you know, that's what I mean, you know. Goes in his library with his cheesecake win pictures. Cake win? (laughs) Cake win, yeah. (laughs) That's where I spread all my dirty business. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's also, I always find as well, you're probably the last person you yourself are probably the last person to notice like your improvement levels as well yeah. you know it, 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 you've almost got to allow other people to say you know what that's a lot better than the crap we used to turn out you know <laughs> well what you got to think is 
um say you're working on a painting that you work on for say a day or two days mm. you sat staring at that picture for yeah you can like you can almost 24 it, yeah. hours non-stop so you've you see every crack you see every problem with it you see everything you want to do with it and you put it up and somebody will see it fresh and they'll go mm. oh that that's cool i like that bit i like that bit and then they're on to look at the next picture so they will probably look at it for at most say three minutes whereas you've spent hours staring at that you know beating yeah. yourself up thinking this should be better or that should be better but i like and all that. you can see are the mistakes you all you can see are the wrong brush marks and yeah it's that thing though isn't it that anything you do will never be good enough because you did it yeah because you'll always um, look at what you did and what Jim Lee did, for example, and be like, well, that's perfect because Jim Lee did it. Yeah. This isn't because I did it. And it could be even, even equally as good. Jim Lee will be looking at his work thinking, yeah. Jim Lee will be looking at his work and thinking, it's not as good as it can be, you know? Yeah, I think, I think you stop as an artist, don't you, at that point? Yeah, that's you like, have that's, to. That's if, as good if, as I could ever do it. Yeah. I've peaked. That's when you George <laughs> Costanza and just leave the room, isn't it? Yeah, when you, just drop your pencil and thought I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I think um, um, yeah. I think as well when you get if say you were getting to Jim Lee levels, I think you'd probably start to then try and simplify your work and try and almost strip it back. You know, like in a sort of Picasso sort of way, where he's an incredibly good draftsman, amazing painter, but he he steered away from realism because that didn't interest him anymore he suddenly wanted to be more more abstract and look at things in a different way yeah it's like um toth and by extension bruce tim and that as well isn't it that yeah did the work and then worked out how to strip it back partly for the uh time element of it i would assume i would assume and uh partly bruce, just for the stylistic element bruce tim's work's fantastic Oh, it is. And it it, it, it just, looks like it'd be so simple to do. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just just looks almost um, like um, sort of kiddie and, and naive. And then you sit down and try and do it, and you're like, oh, that guy's he's something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like I say anybody. Well, you can tell sometimes when people put their fan art up of their Bruce Tim style animated series fan art or something. You know, it's, it's nice and it's good but it's not quite because it's not as easy as you think it is to do draw batman like that yeah yeah that's a cool picture but it doesn't look like it came that naturally yeah. whereas with bruce's stuff it's just lovely swooshes and curves and and uh brilliant swooshies. characters i love the word swooshies it, it's swooshies yeah just <laughs> yeah. i'm i'm not a huge fan of um like sort of cheesecakey frank cho yeah. You know that sort of thing, but the only, puff, yeah. the only only book I've got that leans towards that is the Bruce Tim one, just the ones of, of his his ladies and things, because it's just yeah, those really clean and simplified lines and curves, and it's you know nothing's nothing's too big or over the top. It's just these really nice expressive figures. Yeah, see, drawing women in my style is something I've always struggled with generally it's going to sound really dodgy but I can generally knock a dude out relatively easily <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you are Chris you think <laughs> <laughs> on paper <laughs> I think um, there's something about like a sort of rigid strong character you can build up out of blocks and um, 
sort of shapes and, and build the muscles. And we're so used to that with our heroic characters that when it comes to the, the subtleties of um, a sort of a loose feminine form, it, there's so much more more um, complexity to that. Yeah, and I think you walk a fine line as well sometimes with drawing females is that you get the chin slightly wrong and it's suddenly a very masculine jaw or... Well, it's really you, hard because... You either do it too cheesecakey or... Well, the, the tricky not thing quite is cheesecakey what, enough. <laughs> what we see in comic books and the way that like females are drawn, it's not reality. You know, yeah. it's it's all an ideal that has grown like gradually over time to have this way that we all accept. Oh, there is the the feminine form. That is what a lady looks like. She has to curve like that. But in reality, like a, a female's face, the jaw can be quite strong or a brow can be strong. But it still looks feminine in reality. The actual real faces, the complexities and the subtleties in there, um, there's so much more to it than just ladies have, you know, quite nice pert chins and and. Well, yeah, you look at somebody eyes. like Rennie Russo, for example. She's got a very strong jaw, and but very classically beautiful feminine woman. Yeah. But yeah, sort of if you just take the top of her head and I, this is because I watched Thomas Crane Affair the other day. But right. That's <laughs> why I'm jumping straight to Rene Russo. I'm not, you know, victimised and picking on her. <laughs> but um, Rene Russo was great in Leon, wasn't he? <laughs> no women, no kids. <laughs> Just derailed it. <laughs> I'm sorry, carry on. But also... Um, there, there was a, a picture, a little sort of meme that went went about a few years back to show how um, there's all, there's a sort of modern androgyny with with icons, male and female now. So there was a picture of Miley Cyrus right next to a picture of Justin Bieber, and they were roughly around the same sort of age. And they, I think they'd swapped the hairdos or something. But the actual structure of their faces was almost identical yeah in a way that even though he is male and, and he is seen as you know quite a heartthrob a masculine pinup you know his face his, his cheek structure and his chin and everything was very very similar and quite slight to Miley Cyrus and for Miley Cyrus sort of aspects of her face were quite strong and, and masculine so it's it's a much more um varied and, and shades of grey than than just ladies mm. look like this and guys look like that but you know that's what comic books have done is they've they've trimmed down ideas to create this sort of visual language that we can quickly consume to understand what it's trying to tell us yeah i mean i've always liked i've always been a big fan of terry moore's anyway but i've always loved the way he draws women because he does he doesn't draw them necessarily in that comic book style they have lumps and bumps and curves where or the curves are slightly bigger than they would normally be in the right way kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, I'm taking uh, a hold here, man. Well, well, people like Frank Miller as well, you know, they've got all kinds of angles and um, sort of muscles and, and strange shapes and things, but it's still, you can still tell there's your, your female character and there's your male character, but he yeah. doesn't necessarily have to play into those sort of um, stereotypes really. Or even Eastman and Laird. You look at the early April O'Neils that they yeah. did. It's yeah, very definitely. crude, but very female still. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But 
anyway, Andy draws naked women. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really good. yeah, um, really good practice though to do life drawing like that every week. Yeah. yeah I, sorry, sorry. I, was, I did one just before lockdown, the first lockdown. Yeah, January last year. Yeah, and I was planning on doing more, but at the moment, because it's limited spaces, I don't want to take a place from a regular. So, I'm hoping once everything's lifted properly. Staring through the windows, Stu. <laughs> I'm just always got that do. thing that I'm going to turn up and it's going to be a Todger one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I draw enough penises in my free time. <laughs> I don't need to pay for the privilege. <laughs> my, my greatest my greatest fear was um, my, my dad used to come with me quite a lot um, to like drawing when he was but he's now moved up north but he used to come with me quite often and uh, my dad's a nudist so I had an absolute fear that the model wasn't going to turn up one day oh no and my dad would put his hand up and say that he would take over and yep. thankfully t- two two weeks ago didn't turn up and my dad wasn't there thankfully <laughs> so you did it so i did it yeah that I was my it. fear the day i went with you <laughs> i definitely like i'm out <laughs> yeah so steve i know it's nearly 30 of... years but our friendship is not there <laughs> yeah what kind of ratio of your work is traditional pad work and digital <laughs> Um, it depends. I mean, if it's colouring, sort of painting, yeah. um, I mean, that's 95% digital. I do that all on computer now just because it's so, so forgiving. You know, Photoshop yeah. just let you get away with everything. You can just yeah. undo, you know. Good old undo button, yeah. All that sort of stuff. I mean, some of my sketches I'll, um, I'll put in uh, Copic marking, shading, um, if I'm doing sort of actual pen and ink sketches and things. But most of my color stuff is is um digital but drawing black and white sort of pencils and ink and that that's like 80 percent by hand and then yeah. scanned in and 20 percent just neatening certain lines so you always start off with with, with uh, like a pencil version yeah uh, so you so you start off then trying to just create an idea of your process so you would start off with your sketchbook that you showed us before we press record and you would do for instance if you're doing a page you do a, a scamp of the page yeah and then from there you would what you would do it full size you do 150 percent of the size or yeah i'll do it on um full size sort of comic bristol board size um using my little thumbnail as a guide yeah. uh, pencil then ink on top of that then that ink gets scanned in and then I put the the shading in in Photoshop, bubbles on top, and then on you're good to go. So you're so you were kind enough to send us um, just before we spoke some of your progress shots of your of your your color. Were there covers? I think the one yeah. the one was the cover. Yeah, cover, that, that's covers. One was um, book. Three, I think the crabler attacking the ship yeah. and the um there was a little scamp of sort of like a sort of color color study for um book five and then also my the progress steps of the cover for the collected volume right yeah so the actual the the, the, the um what did you call that the progress so the one with the 
there's a foot in the foreground and there's like a fighting stance with the badges behind. Yeah. So just just, just talk us through that. So did this start off as a pencil, pencil sketch? That would that started off as a um, a tiny little sketch on a post-it note. Oh just, really? Just to put in very quickly and very small the shapes and the angles that I wanted the badgers themselves to fill. So um, Flint is leaning over his his hammer, mm. um, and Laird where he's leaping forward. I wanted his body where his legs coming up to kind of arc and fill that gap so they it kind of slightly sort of tessellate together quite well and um obviously flint's attention is on this leg that's in the foreground whereas layers where he's leaping over is to take out the creature that's attacking flint so i wanted all all of the little shapes and in the interplay there i wanted yeah. to work that out very quickly and very small in, in basic shapes then i so scanned that in yeah, sorry. No, it's cool. I, I, so straight away you got the composition then. So you have that in your mind. So that's the first thing you concentrate on, the yeah. rough composition of the piece. Yeah, the, the composition is the first thing that I concentrate on. That's my, my main thing. And once I've got those shapes down and it all works very small and almost abstract, once those shapes all sort of tessellate together in their own space and mm. I can see that it's going to flow well, then I'll scan that in and on top of that I'll just start to put in the basic colour palette to create the mood that I want yeah. for the, the scene and working very small and very quickly so right. when I've got those shapes all working and the basic I mood colour palette is in there and I'm looking at it you know it's probably only about say two inches by one inch on my on my screen very small then I'll okay. allow myself then I'll allow myself to zoom in and yeah. work on that. The details. It's very much about just speed and mood at the start. And if you start to put in, if I start to put in detail at that point, it's like, nope, it's not going to work. This isn't about detail mm. now. It's about atmosphere and composition and value. And then yeah. once, once um, I've started to work into it a little bit and I think, okay, it's working now. I know where my highlights and everything are going to go. I, I zoom up a bit more and then I start to, allow myself a few more details and just build it up like that really i was going to ask whereabouts where do you decide where the light source is going to go is that like very early on is that yeah something, you know? yeah that's that's a, a really early on thing that's once that um once that thumbnail black and white thumbnail is scanned in and i'm working with my my what color palette i want mm. i've also roughed in my my main um my main light source and then maybe the secondary sort of light source which might be slightly off screen and then if there's a, a tertiary light source as well like rebounded light coming from um, an element in the scene as well like maybe something's on fire just slightly off sure. of camera or something like that you get refracted light off that yeah 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 so i've noticed as well with your, with your color palette you in your color stuff you very rarely use black do you yeah i well it's one thing I remember from doing my A-levels. I was really into black as a mm. sort of moody teenager. It's like everything everything was black with a bit of colour on it. And my art teacher basically said that there is no black in nature. You look no. around, 
nothing mm. natural is black black is the absence of of light and there is hardly any points of your your waking day where there will not be light somewhere it will be in bouncing through somewhere and because there will be light bouncing in there'll be color involved so not only is is it not a, a good way to you know have a sort of realistic color palette when you i mean my stuff i tend to boost up the contrast so it's quite strong anyway but with regards to the um, approach of it trying to keep light sources and color palettes realistic for the the scene itself if you put lots of black in there it's gonna it's gonna flatten things it's gonna deaden things you know and also you can use it too much as a a, a bit of a crutch just to okay make that bit black so it looks dark yeah. and moody but you're <clears throat> sort of taken away from the colors you could use really the, so the the other progress shot you said. Sorry, what was the name of the the, the guys on the boat? What was the big monster called? The crabbler. The crabbler. Crabbler. Because uh, <laughs> uh, instantly, um, you like the, the dark shadows on the actual creature. Uh, beautiful royal blue, aren't they? And it just really kind of punches it. You know. Yeah. Well, there's that whole. Um steel and straw idea you know like with lighting so you'll have yeah. your 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 cold blues or your your warm oranges and reds and things like that so if your your background is those cold blues and your foreground are warm or vice versa if you've got a cold foreground then you want a, a warm background so i was looking at the boat and the woods of the boat as being my warm base and then the the blues of the night sky behind working into the stronger blues of the crabbler so that it, there's a nice contrast between those two yeah. parts of the composition um and like i said before about photoshop really um being very forgiving allowing you to get away with things once you i start putting in my colors i'm always boosting up the contrast a little bit because i i do tend to lean towards quite um muted and earthy colors which is fine you, you can go in there and paint with a limited color palette but at the end, I usually find myself sort of pulling all the contrast up to really help those stronger, say, say reds or, or greens start to pull through and pop out. Mm. And so I usually, and I'm say 30% of the way through a painting and I've got the composition down, I've got my lighting source sorted and I'm putting in the colours that I want to use from a chosen limited colour palette. About 30% of the way through, I'll start to flatten it all down bring the contrast up let those colors really come up strong and i'll I'll be like oh actually there is a nice green happening in that that area over there so i'll start to pull some of those colors in as well just to um work with the others trying to keep it all harmonious as i go yeah it's it is a case of sort of feeling my way through it really i I Mm. haven't got to the point where I, i choose a a definite say five colors at the start and i'm like right okay i'm only using those i tend to use a a limited color palette based on a picture i already like you know i might cut a section out and be like okay i'm just going to use the colors from that because i know that works harmoniously i'll just pick those colors and use those and then as i go along if i think actually they're not as strong as i want i do allow myself to just boost up the contrast a little bit yeah i see okay uh i've noticed as well you've of one of the progress shots you flipped it yeah yeah i'm constantly that, flipping yeah as <laughs> constantly flipping so am i mate 
so is, is this a case of again it's the um becoming blind to your becoming your tired eyes it's giving you something different to look at so you can kind of see well, what needs to be improved and the composition and things? Yeah, it's a compositional thing. It's making sure that it reads properly. That, like, because when we, when you're drawing things like you know, say a, a face or or something that you think is symmetrical, a lot of the time there's a tendency to always make like a, a left eye slightly bigger than the right one. Or yeah, it, you know. So if you flip it, you can see what flaws you're you're naturally putting into it just because some things are like an optical illusion you can't really see them until you flip it and all of a sudden you're like oh it, it's obvious now so yeah. as i'm working you know every say you know couple of hours working into a piece i'll, I'll flip it just to make sure that things are the right size that compositionally they're working that i haven't actually loaded it all a little bit to the left or things aren't balancing properly so i've noticed you you've changed the claw haven't you of claw that's in the fourth shot after flipping it you've kind of brought that in a little bit so yeah would it, so would it be a case of that you thought that the claw was a little bit too far out and it was a kind of disjointed from the rest of the image uh, i think it was a case of um the balance between the characters and the claw of the creature itself yeah i, I wanted to give the monster a bit more impact so i I drew him up slightly. I brought that claw um, up in size slightly, so it seemed more like it was imposing over the main characters. Um, and then I started to shift and, and move uh, the, the badger himself slightly. So as you're going along, it's, it's always good to flip it, see what works or what isn't working, and make those changes. And just you know, it's also good practice not to be too precious. You can always cut things out and move them and then just start painting in the gaps and, mm. um, you know, filling in the mistakes. You're a flipper, aren't you, Sue? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a right flipper. <laughs> in what terms are we talking? <laughs> <laughs> the safe terms you can talk about live on the podcast. So um, um, flipping your drawings and stuff. I, I recently did it. I did it because you would always do on about it. And I was like, what the fuck could that possibly show you? And then I did yeah. it. And it was like, it was weird how suddenly squiffy somebody looks. Mm. Like you say, because I think because you naturally draw one eye bigger than the other or the nose is slightly off to one side or whatever it is. But yeah, it's just such a bizarre thing. It's like a completely different drawing. Yes, it's the quickest way to see it from almost like another person's perspective. You, you, it's like you suddenly see it through a different set of eyes because you're seeing it completely differently to all of the little ideas you've had in your head that you've put down on paper to make it. All those get sort of erased and you just see it completely new and clean. With your, with uh, your pictures, Andy, yes. you, with your colour palettes, do you set yourself uh, a definite colour palette where you start? Do you think, okay, I'll have, you know, this, say, these eight different, tones and i won't do anything other than that or no not not at all to be honest the first thing slightly different order to you the first thing i think about is my light source and right. i'll try to work because I, I love playing with light so i i always kind of try to think well if i've got my light up here and um i just try, i always i know it's kind of wrong but i quite like adding a tiny little bit of clipping to my my art as in a little bit of area that's just real a lot of my sort of highlights on it and use that almost as a focal point yeah um, 
you know, I quite, I quite like that. Well, I your like, eye. I mean, admittedly. Sorry. I was, I was just going to say, your eye is going to be drawn to the the point that has the most sort of contrast, the yeah. the, the biggest difference between light and dark. So if if you do have a very strong highlight or shadow on, on a certain element, maybe like around the face or around a weapon or something like that, then that's where your eye is going to be drawn to. And if everything has that high contrast, then it's hard to really, yeah. you know, focus on one point. Yeah, absolutely. I, to be honest, I've also, I, I've kind of, I noticed the whole, um, you, the lack of black thing and uh, a while ago and that is something I've tried to interpret to myself because I try to wean myself using off using black um and yeah and, and um so that's something that's always kind of in the back of my mind as well but um I also kind of like muted colors I don't like too many colors either I mean because I, I, I draw a lot of robots so you've got lots of metal um I, I like texture um so you know I I, I love dense and I love the new I very rarely draw silver silver metal you know I think that's a bit dull so you're looking at coppers and you know um chromes and steels and that kind of and um uh golds and that kind of color so that does kind of feature quite a lot in my color palette I think just yeah. makes it a little bit more interesting well having um a, a metal character or um subject mm. matter you know you've got so many reflective surfaces even if it's a, a, a duller metal you know like a sort of uh, a rusty metal or a, a gold rather than a, a nice sort of polished bit of steel you're going to get color reflecting from all around that environment you know you yeah even though it's a you know a, a sort of metallic source like the, the tops of the head will, will be bright blues from where the the light mm. is reflecting you know around the yeah, feet will be the refractive light yeah. yeah, yeah, you'll get colours bouncing in from from everywhere with that. So, yeah, Your, the the colour that you did for the um, for the, the the combined works that we're talking about, that's very because you, you've got we well, got the badges there. You've got very much the brown coming out from underneath the badges, and then you've got the blue coming from above, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably one of the um, the darkest um, covers I've done actually. I mean, mm. I. I didn't go into blacks. I sort of leaned more towards very dark blues and things like that. But that's that's kind of me just wanting to um, have those main characters really pop quite a lot. So, um, yeah, sort of cheated a little bit in um, just (laughs) using the the brights of the uh, the more sort of warm oranges and, and the lighter blues in the characters' faces and obviously the moon itself the contrast between the uh, the shriek and the moon is really drawing focus to the center of that that of cover course. and the fact that you've basically got a circle as well yeah the composition which i think is absolutely breathtaking um so oh, thanks, do, do you um so go back to composition because i'm that's something that i'm it confuses me to be composition that baffles still baffles me a little bit um do you use, I mean, things like the golden section, do you always take that into account when you're, when you're coming up with ideas or is that just something that comes naturally to you? Or? No, you'll have to elaborate and educate me as to what the golden... Uh, the, the golden, the, the golden rate, the ratio, basically, is the, um, the one where I come, it's, um, uh, it's the, a certain ratio, it's the ratio of an A4 piece of paper and um, 
is the way that I'd have to send you a diagram. Right. But it is basically it's something that's supposed to it, it manipulates the way the eye looks at the piece, and it starts so everything kind of links up within an arc. Right. Um, if, tell you what I'll do. If I very quick, I'm sure you you probably would know it. I probably I probably have seen it. It sounds a bit like a a variation or something similar to what I would I call like the spiral. Um, it is the spiral. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Josh, do you know Josh Kidby that did the um the old Terry Pratchett covers? Of course, yeah. Like um uh, sort of uh, quite brightly painted but very busy scenes. Um, very busy, yeah. Yeah. Now, I got an art book of his somewhere and in there it showed how he based because people would say, how do you create a composition with so much going on, all these complicated mm. things? And he said, oh, well, he'd, show, he'd overlay over his paintings this spiral and it would show how everything flows towards a central point of focus. So I think compositionally I, I just always try and think about that really you know mm. leading the eye into a scene um from foreground into into middle ground then into the sort of the main crux of what's going on you know be it the creature attacking or the um the, the spaceship landing or, or whatever that that principle but i think that um those ideas like the spiral and the um the the golden uh, principle you were saying about I think they are so ingrained in a lot of the stuff that we consume so many people use them that yeah. we kind of we subliminally already know it and how to apply it because we've seen it done so many times yeah I see yeah like like um a uh, huge inspiration for me is people like um like Frank Frazetta you know you, you see his Conan covers and um He's already doing it. You, know, mm. you could you can lay it over the top of his paintings. You're like, yeah, he's he's already doing it in there. So even before I knew it, just looking and trying to copy we the way he does things, like most most artists do, all try and copy Frazetta. You never get as close because he's an absolute legend. But <laughs> you, know, you, you just um, you naturally pick up these things and start to to do them yourself. I think. I see. Um, so I'm actually going to ask you now one of the questions that kind of annoys me the most when I get asked. Um, but just tool-wise, um, what kind of digitally then? How many brushes would you say you use? How many different kind of custom brushes would you use? I use I use one brush. Just the one. Just would one that be brush. is that a default brush or is that one you made yourself? No, it's a, a chalk brush, I think. Photoshop okay. chalk brush, yeah, and I, I, it's a, a chalk brush with the opacity. Let me have a quick look. Yeah, I've got the it's sort of the uh, sensitivity is set to I think like sort of sixty percent, and mm -hmm. uh, the opacity as well is is set to pen pressure dynamics and things. Uh, yeah, here we go. So I have um, it's a chalk brush with the on the shape dynamics. It's just set the pen pressure uh, transfer is ticked. That's on pen pressure as well. So you just get a slight, um, a nice sort of fade flourish as you take your pen 
away yeah. from the Wacom and as you press down, just just, just sort of brush sensitivity. Um, and yeah, I just use that. And then at the end, if I want to put in certain glows or highlights, I might put a little dab of airbrush here and there. But okay. other, than, other than that, I just stick to that one one brush. I'm actually trying to recreate it as we're talking. Hang on a sec. Just like it's, it's a, so we've got a chalk brush. Yep. Uh, uh, we've got the, what did we say? We had, we had the transfer turned on. Yep. Uh, let me turned on. bring that up again. I can tell you. Yeah. Yep. So shape, shape dynamics on pen pressure, everything else yep. is on, on zero and turned off. Yep. And then the transfer you've got um, the control on pen pressure on the opacity jitter and the control on pen pressure on the flow jitter. And they're all on um, 0% except for the, the pen pressure on the flow jitter is on 100%. But I can always, um, I can email you the brush that I use. Oh, that'd be epic. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I can send that one over. But when I was trying to get into the digital painting, the two main things that's, that came up again and again was um, try and work without layers and try and work with as limited brushes as you can. And also yeah. a limited color palette, just because you that way you're not relying on tricks and things to get you out of stuff. It's like if, if you yeah. if you paint it and it's wrong, it, it's better practice to paint over it and paint it right rather than trying to you know, tweak or filter or anything like that. Paint it in, get it wrong, and then paint paint that out and paint it in right, you know, and, and learn yeah. that way, really. Yeah. Because for years, when I did my colouring, um, more sort of graphic shading, just cutting out uh, shapes and filling, I'd do everything in loads of layers, just in case yeah. I needed to tweak or, or change something. And... Um, you get lost... Well, when I wanted to get into digital painting, I wanted to get away from that. I didn't want it to be so so technical, you know, having to map everything out with a pen tool and that. I just wanted to get in there with a paintbrush and just start and slap paint on the screen and start to actually learn the principles of lighting and composition and all that stuff. So just go back to real, real basics, really. Interesting. Because it's so tempting. So many, so many brushes in there. You think, oh, there's yeah. a brush for grass, there's a brush for... For clouds, there's a brush for everything. I'll just use all those. But instead, just it, paint just, that grass just, in. Paint those clouds. Yeah, just, absolutely. It just sends it to clip art, doesn't it? When you just, yeah. I've got, um, I, I bought, um, I got so frustrated with a piece I was doing a couple of years ago. So I ended up, it was trees in the background. And I ended up buying a brush. I actually spent some money on a brush that looked like leaves. I thought, obviously, oh, this would be brilliant. And it was terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? It literally looked like you were rubber stamping leaves all over the place. Well, what, you know? what those are good for, those kind of brushes, is when you've yeah. painted your form in and you've got your light source and everything like that, and you think, I don't want to go in and, and have to pick out loads of little leaves. You get your brush and you just dab it on top, you know, a few yeah. times. And you're, and it's like oh, okay. brushes Brushes are like the hundreds and thousands on top of the cake. Yeah, you, you put in all the time and the mix and everything is, is yours from a painting perspective. But the brush or the effect you come along at the end, say it's like a gravel brush or a cloud brush. Once you've painted your stuff in, you can just dab a few little bits of those brushes on top. Just just to add some little effect. Really. They, they are just little special effects. I personally mm. think anyway, there, there are people out there that use brushes 
and are absolute wizards with them and you know their work's way better than mine but from my the same person who uses lens in their arms. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely <laughs> well thank you for that that was um i don't know if it's gonna make a very good podcast but that certainly helped me quite a lot <laughs> oh Stu's gonna have an awful lot of editing to do it's like right I'll <laughs> yeah, i'm cutting podcast. all of that out yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this episode's basically going to be, gonna be you saying about spraying your dirty business and then it ends. <laughs> yeah. And Andy's dad's Todger, and that's the end. That's about it. Yeah. Actually, that's a that's a normal podcast for us. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> but no, that was really interesting. I, I think you know I was chewing crayons, so I only understood a couple of words, but. <laughs> how many boxes have you got through Stu? Oh, quite a few and it's bad because this heat i'm not exercising so i'm not burning the crayon wax off it's when it come out the other end and you've got the whole crayola spectrum and you're <laughs> shitting a rainbow yeah exactly <laughs> i know but will they retweet it no i don't get highlighted on their instagram page <laughs> hashtag rainbow log <laughs> rainbow shite one of the new star trek yeah. series is coming out <laughs> yeah. um so yeah so sort of just quickly while we've been talking out and that and the badges and the like um have you got any kickstarters or anything going on steve who me well, funny you should mention that. I do have a lovely big juicy Kickstarter for the collected version, collected volume of the Beast Hunting Battle Badges, books one to six. Big hardback 240 page beauty it is with extra sketchbook stuff and cover gallery in the back. So if anyone's interested, check it out on Kickstarter as um extra artwork and badges and stickers and original pages and all that sort of stuff up for grabs yeah don't tell my wife i went for an original page so the secret is safe with me next month she when knows. she goes what the fuck have you spent 96 quid on, <laughs> on Kickstarter? But I've, yeah what I've are you even, gonna say when i know that where comes it's gonna go i know it's gonna go on the wall i'd be like it's, it's, it's an investment because <laughs> you're gonna slab it aren't you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, slab. you're gonna have to um keep and you'll be twitching those curtains for the postie. <laughs> trying to well, no, because the downside of being a postie is that they come at the same time I might deliver in. So. All right. So she's can... the credit card anyway, so I'm buggered either way. So it's just oh, it's right. easier to beg forgiveness after the fact. That's true. I'm you sure she'll understand. The house. Easier for, for the wall. I'm sure but, she'll understand. Yeah, of course the kids don't need to eat, Stuart, because you needed some drawings of silly badgers on the wall. In my defense, <laughs> I've been doing overtime at work. I've done like 21 days straight. so <laughs> I've paid for it, and probably not, to be fair, because I've bought a load of other shit. But <laughs> <laughs> you need That's to... Works, right? As long as the intention was there. To get those short shorts on, and the uh, ladies on your round, they'll be start slipping fibres in the top of your belt there, and <laughs> watching you walk down the I garden path. I'm not sleeping tonight. I've just visualised that. I'm not sleeping tonight. Oh, well, let me help you, Andy. You know that Kylie Minogue gold hot pants? Good God! 
it's that, but they're red. <laughs> and they got Royal nice, Mail across them. Nice and tight, eh? <laughs> yeah, looks like you've got spiders trying to escape from the crotch as yeah. you strut what your way of, down the garden path. What kind of like Peter Griffin in, in short shorts. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that probably completely derailed your Kickstarter plug there. <laughs> Oh yeah, we were we were talking about my dirty business. I forgot about that. We got onto your dirty business. But but yeah, no. So it's it's the six issues. So what's the plan now? Because that's that arc finished. Are you? Uh, yeah, I've got. I'm in the next one. Or I've got a little post-it note here with the next story arc, sort of roughed out little story points and things like that. It's um it's a case of getting through the Kickstarter thing first because obviously this is my first thing i've done on kickstarter so going through the whole process making sure i get it all right and everything um order it all in into my little flat fill it full of loads of books and then um, go through and get them all posted out when that's all done and i sit down half exhausted and think brilliant everything's got everything then i'll um start thumbnailing the next story i spent yeah the posting out things are ball like but it's quite good fun as well you get a little factory line going in your living room you feel a little bit like you're some major publisher you're just doing all the jobs <laughs> but it's yeah, quite well, nice i think i don't understand people who use the fulfillment services that some people offer it's like yeah, why I've, I've Plus, you know, a few emails people saying oh hi i see that you're a project we love on kickstarter we'd like to offer our services as a fulfillment thing and all that and you think well you know it's, it's only you know, I'll, I'll be all right, mate, I think, to be honest. I don't think... I'm yeah, because they're going to take a heck of a chunk of any profit you make for doing yeah. it. So you either then decide to up and profit the postage to cover that. Plus, I'm not being funny. If I invested in your project, the least you could do is stick it in an envelope and send it to well, me yourself, you lazy well, shit. that's the thing as well, yeah. <laughs> not you I, specifically, just the yeah. general people who use fulfillment <laughs> services. Why are you so mean, Stuart? Why do you speak to me in this way? No, I totally agree. I, I, you get used to it, Steve. <laughs> I really like the idea of, you know, I I drew it, I plug it, um, I send it out, you know, it's... Um, I, I get it if it's like it's easier to have somebody fulfilling them in America for you because it's just cheaper than shipping them yourself. I, I get the yeah. ones that do that for that reason, but there's also that uneasy thing where it's like, so you've got my address and details, and you're now passing them on to a third party. Yeah. And so they can send, bundle them up and send them out to me. It's like, how many people get my address before I get this comic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think if if you're like the Etheringtons and you have a massive, <laughs> huge success then obviously you know i think like, they still do it all themselves they've got like a little wearers thing and they set up from what they've said in the past i know it's still the case but they set up like say a little production line yeah and they do it tier by tier oh that's awesome so that's you're actually getting it from the edmonton brothers themselves like oh, say it's just cool. that nicer thing of knowing that the person you've invested in took the time to put it in an envelope i know it's a tiny tiny thing but and I get that, you know, like you say, the Edmonton brothers would be perfectly within their right to, because when you've got like a million pounds worth of books or whatever to ship out, yeah, it can be a bit of a ball ache. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I live in a in a in a flat, so I think if I had the orders that they had, it would just be our flat would be just full of books. It'd be nothing but books. That's it, and especially now you can do the postage online, so 
All you've essentially yeah. got to do is take them and drop them off. Yeah, so that's you got to queue up in the post do. office anymore. Like um, I say, if you go to your local sorting office where you collect a parcel from, if you ask, they'll probably give you a couple of sacks. Oh, I can't right. 100% guarantee that, but that's it's worth good. asking because some do. Somebody posted the other day on Twitter that they bundled everything up and taken it to their local post office and they were like, that's too much for us. Take it to your local sorting office. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in that the post office is only five minutes down the road from where I live and the sorting office is is like sort of maybe a, a 20 minute walk. So I've got access to both. So, yeah, like yeah, I say, it's, it's worth having a track. So that's where it's going to end up anyway before it ships off to the bigger sorting depot. Yeah. So as, as long as the people working in your sorting office aren't uppity. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Not um, not to imply that people in sorting offices are uppity. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah not, like I say, it's it shouldn't be an issue. So as long as you've done that, the post, um, by the end of the day, if you haven't done the post right, it comes back on you anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's one good thing about say you know taking a, a couple of big bag falls down to the post office each day is they they can then cast an eye over them and just check them. Yeah. And once you've done the the first bulk of it you know there's going to be a rhythm to it because most with the tiers everything's going to pretty much weigh the same yeah once you've sorted it out so i say it's just getting the weight right i again i always slightly overestimate the weight even after i've weighed it just to yeah allow for some weird mythical thing that happened to land at the same time or whatever yeah yeah well also with and then just um, measuring out the envelopes and me or you know the boxes or whatever you send them in with the whole brexit thing and you know all these different things are happening it seems like postage regulations and prices and all that changes week to week so yeah it's always a good idea to go down and just double triple check at the post office there might yeah. be another form you need to fill out another sticker you need to put on the front well, i say who knows the way it's going you'll have to fill forms out to send in country <laughs> Uh, it's crazy the way, the way they seem to be ballsing it up yeah everything will need a customs form even <laughs> if it's just postcard to your gran i'm only sending it three doors down <laughs> yeah yeah it's like well in that case you're gonna need this forty thousand page document yeah <laughs> don't you tick the wrong box you brick and it'll need three stamps <laughs> but but yeah it's a so i i mean luckily i never sold anything overseas anyway of my comics but i instantly took all that stuff out i was like this is not worth the hassle it's like a one pound to three pound book it's not worth it <laughs> oh i was talking about sending it overseas um i'm gonna send some to you both in chat i um sent a drawing overseas last week week before thankfully the guy was really good about it um but this was what he received bear with me um okay drum roll please <laughs> better not be your <laughs> so, so you sent this physically right this wasn't a, yeah it was an actual uh, not a proper pen and ink drawing okay and i put it in a, a proper a proper one yeah not, <laughs> not none of this fake crap. digital stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't think i'm gonna show it i think he's deleted it oh no he's deleted it oh, oh dear. No. Well, did it get bashed up? Yeah, and I, I put it, I wrote, do not bend all over the envelope, and I put it in a, a plastic um, wallet with a mountain board, backing board, 
Yeah, as I said, Ro, do not bend all over it. He sent me a photograph of it. It was proper concertinaed up. Oh no. Absolutely gutted. Because yeah. I mean I paid I paid special special delivery. It was two how was it? Um somewhere on the the west coast of the states. And um and yeah, it was proper concertina up. I mean somebody had to properly make an effort to bend that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone on a but, bad um, day took it out on your parcel. Well, honestly. And um, yeah, it was and but thankfully um, there was no hard creases on it. So we ironed it and it seemed alright. But it was really good about it. I was expecting them to say, no, I'm not paying for that, you send me it again, you know. Yeah, well, that's one thing, one bit of advice that lots of people are giving me with regards to Kickstart and sending things out is just be aware and be ready that that things that you you don't think would happen do happen. You know, there's always hiccups and always problems. But, you know, I think as long as you communicate to people what's what's going on or what might have happened and and how you're going to rectify it, I think in general, people understand that's that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I think as long as you're straight on it, and because it's just an unfortunate thing that sometimes things get lost, or sometimes they, you know, it chucks it down at the wrong time, and by the time yeah. it gets to the door, yeah. it's soaked through or whatever. Or apparently, do whole bags of stuff. Or yeah, some people would allege <laughs> uh, <laughs> Royal Mail can lose whole sacks full of mail. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly, we'll you not, <laughs> not not that they were never sent out at all. Right. Okay. I I thought you were going to say you've got a few sacks of people's mail in your shed that you know <laughs> like to. It's in the loft. <laughs> Don't mind. Yeah, I'm gonna have to delete that out now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth nicking. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, it's not worth yeah. losing your job over. No. No. Like. It's just all random stuff that's got nothing to do with you. So why, yeah, why would you have an interest in it? It's usually somebody trying to sell you slippers or a conservatory or something like that. Anyway, it's, yeah, the mail's not slippers as exciting as people think it is. Do you know all that junk crap you get that, to the occupier? I've never somebody got trying to, in the post. or whatever. It was an example. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of old people on my round. All right, they like comfy shoes. <laughs> I mean, the same people who tell you to, uh, to, put, to cut your legs off your trousers. Possibly. <laughs> I could neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. <laughs> but, yeah, just get me fired. Fine, whatever. <laughs> the only time, only time of day they get up out of their chairs is when you come striding past you. Hell no. Get a fine physique like this walking by, you're going to get up and have a look, aren't you? No one can blame you. Any size they get. Yeah, they pop up like meerkats. It's like a Mexican <laughs> wave going down the street. As, as you like, doesn't he look sweaty and pink today? <laughs> <laughs> I look like I've been ranting about immigrants stealing jobs, but it's not. It's just the natural heat and sweat of walking. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, I, yeah, I think summer's here. <laughs> you can tell summer's here because I've taken Springsteen out of the car and I've started listening to my summer CDs. Nice. What, what's uh, what's on the LCD player then when it hits the summer? Well, it's um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, by the way. Cool. 
which is what Andy bought me nearly 20 years ago. And you can tell it's nearly 20 years ago because it's still got the little Safeway sticker inside <laughs> where they used to keep put the cases out and put the discs in a file. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, they, um, they've been advertising on TV that they're um, selling Queen's Greatest Hits on vinyl. And yeah. I went into HMV the other day and it said exclusive to HMV, Queen's Greatest Hits on vinyl. And it's like, yeah, and every other charity shop in the land. Like, <laughs> yeah. The one CD or album that you can guarantee is everywhere because everyone's already got yeah. it. So the idea of them re-releasing it and being like, hey, buy this new special edition. It's like it's the album everyone's got. If you've got it in the boot of your car or in the back of a old box of tapes or something. What's it? Because we looked at it because my eldest is massively into Queen. And we thought, oh, it might be something different. But it's not. It's exactly the same it's version. exactly the same. I mean, I'm it's a, the Good Omens thing, isn't it? That every it car is, yeah. inexplicably I, has a copy of Queen's Greatest Hits in it. Yeah, and every time he turns his car on, it plays yeah. the Greatest Hits. Yeah, which I thought was a brilliant bit of that. But, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Queen fan. Absolutely love them. Um, but even I think, like, now, it's going to be pretty hard to sell Queen stuff because everybody's got it. Well, yes, yeah, like I say, he's got all the albums, the greatest hits, a couple of the live ones. Uh, not interested in the new stuff, the Adam Lambert Queen, which right. I didn't think was that bad. But Well, I mean, it, it sounds good, but Queen is, is yeah, Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, yeah. You know, like he used to say, we all, we all write the songs, love, but I write the hits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it was Freddie's writing, you know, and, and his yeah. sort of almost autobiographical some of them of his him going out and spreading his dirty business <laughs> those songs so good so you know although he didn't write one of my all-time favorites uh, which is uh, he did or the, he didn't he didn't roger taylor i'm in love for my car no he did write roger taylor did write on no um these are the days of our lives mm-hmm. oh, i adore okay. that song it's a beautiful song it is a good one yeah it's funny really because those ones towards the end where um it really feels like Freddie's saying something through the yeah. song, saying goodbye to the fans and things. You find out actually they were written by the rest of the band. It's it's almost like they were writing stuff that he wasn't strong enough to or felt too ashamed or too scared to write. You know, like the very last track on Innuendo is Show Must Go On. And that sounds yeah. like Freddie's just belting out, you know, the way he feels. And you find out it's written by Brian May. So it's like I said, I think it's the timing with a lot of them that like these are the days of our lives was pretty much released just before or just after he died. It was an a double A side with the Bohemian Rhapsody re-release, wasn't it? Yeah. Because it ended up being Christmas number one in 91, I think. Yeah. You can yeah. tell my eldest is into Queen. <laughs> <laughs> that was around but, that um, Wayne's World time as well, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's on that. So, but, but yeah, yeah. and um the kind of magic album I've said before was um, I used to borrow my granddad's copy and listen to it while I was drawing in my room. So it sort of became my drawing album for a long time. Oh, that's cool. I, I love um, I love the early stuff like Queen one and, and yeah. two, and like all the uh, you can really feel more of um, Brian May's Hendrix influence. And uh, the, the band still felt a little bit like. Uh, Smile, the band that they were before they became Queen. There was little bits of that still in there. Uh, That stuff's really cool. I mean, it's all good, but that for me is my my favourite era. Yeah. 
So, so when you're drawing, Steve, do you do you listen to the radio? Do you have your music on? You know, is that something, or are you one of those people who needs complete silence? No, no, I've always got to have something on in the background. You know, like I might have yeah. like Netflix stuff or TV shows or things, or I might just stick on um, podcasts, music. I tend to play a lot of um, heavy metal. Um, some sort of synthwave stuff, some soundtracks, yeah. things like that. I might put my iPod on, chat out on shuffle, and you get anything from Bowie to Cat Stevens to Marilyn Manson, Leonard Cohen, mm. Bjork, you know, all this this random stuff starts coming out. And it's it's just it's just cool noise to to scribble to really. You almost yeah, don't absolutely. really don't really no, focus on yeah. it. Yeah, I can't draw in silence. I do love a good film score for drawing too. Yeah, yeah, there's some fantastic ones. I love painting to film scores. Things like um, the Thor Dark World soundtrack yeah. or um, the Warcraft movie was a good one. And obviously Lord of the Rings, those sort of big epic yeah. um, adventure soundtracks. Yeah, I can imagine those going quite nicely with Battle Badgers particularly. And set in the mood. Lord of the Rings, yeah. Yeah, and when it comes to actually drawing the pages, like your, your battle scenes where things are moving a bit quicker and you've got that kind of kinetic energy and things in there, that's when it, I'd put on more like the metal. Or, that's where your thrash metal comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or um, more sort of like uh, symphonic fancy metal. There's some wicked groups like uh, Rhapsody of Fire and Blind Guardian and all this like over the top. But they're kind of um, sort of inspired by that sort of, theatrical queen side of stuff uh, tied in with more uh, modern metal so you get this this mix up of over the top fancy heavy metal songs really it's very geeky and, and nerdy but it's really good stuff to draw to see if i'm drawing a battle scene i like to break out the stock Aiken and waterman right mix you know a bit of rick astley <laughs> yeah. a bit of jason yeah. Highly. yeah definitely a bit of sonia yeah. a bit of that pop <laughs> no i tell you i quite enjoy putting like picking a song on youtube and then just letting it do the it's random mix yeah because occasionally you'll get a, what the fuck am i listening to this for and occasionally you'll be like oh i've heard this for years yeah yeah definitely like yeah, um, still skin popped up on one and I, i'd forgotten all inside. about still skin up to that point yeah beautiful beautiful track I was like, i'd forgotten all about this fucking song <laughs> I sort of slipped back down and then remembered that he joined Genesis for a bit and fell down that rabbit hole. Yeah, it's, it's cool, isn't it? Letting it like run into the next thing. It's almost like having your own little radio station where it's just playing stuff it thinks you might be interested in. It is. Sometimes they like to slip in something random. So you go from like still skin to that, to that, to that. And then somewhere down the line, it's like, now we're going to try slipping in a little bit of Miley Cyrus. <laughs> And yeah. then you're back. Share, like, this has nothing to do with this, but OK. <laughs> I share a YouTube account with my wife, so we kind of have the same thing. Same. Yes, as we share the same same uh, radio stations on YouTube. So every, oh, sorry, on um, iTunes. So every so often I'll be listening to my they, they, every week they produce their songs for you and you listen to it. And then you've got the stuff I, you know, I quite listen to, like Avengers Sevenfold and that kind of thing, and GNR and Death Leopard and stuff. And every so often, you'll get a Michael Ball track in there or a, um, a bit of Maroon 5, you know. It's like, you can tell. <laughs> she's kind of affected it. 
<laughs> my That's... music taste is so eclectic anyway that I'm pretty sure the algorithm's like, I don't know how many people this is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, because like he's, he's listening to Chili Feathers here, he's listening to the Who here, he's got a bit of Belinda Carlisle here. He's... Please do yeah. not share your account, Mr. Mulrain. <laughs> <laughs> it appears you have like six different people of multiple ages. It's like... No, I'm just schizophrenic. <laughs> You've gone from Alice in Chains to the Young Rascals. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, mine's a bit like that as well. You know, it'll go from Iron Maiden into um, like some some Neil Young, and then it'll suddenly <laughs> skip into some insane clown posse. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite thing, if I'm drawing late at night, like or early hours in the morning, I love Jazz FM, and that sound sounds really pompous and a bit kind of silly but i really like jazz fm on them oh, it's really thing. soothing you can just ignore it it's great <laughs> I, I got a couple of jazz albums that are really nice to just put on and just yeah get into a mellow mood you feel a little bit like you're in a semi-classy american movie like in one of those <laughs> yeah. jazz clubs that they always seem to go to yeah very yeah, smoky so in a way yeah. Yeah. under a, under a light bulb at your desk sort of thing that's it <laughs> I, I don't get to do that anymore like some dame's gonna that. walk into your studio and tell you that her husband's gone missing <laughs> <laughs> that's how i spent most of my uni days up late into the early hours at my desk under a light bulb and just drawing away on projects with um, headphones on listening to music but Nowadays, because um, obviously commuting down to the studio if it wasn't locked down, and also my, my partner gets up quite early as well for her work because she works long hours. So mm. um, I have to be in bed by like 10 o'clock, so I don't get to to sit up into the, the late hours drawing. That's one thing I do miss, actually. Yeah, I yeah. miss those days as well, since we had kids and obviously early starts being a postie and that. It's just yeah. sort of gets to 7 o'clock and I'm like... Shall we watch that thing about that bloke coming up and down a canal on his boat in bed and just fucking nod off? <laughs> yeah, <that sounds laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, random antique shit or whatever, just to sort of pass out to. Oh, it is a good way to de-stress though, and put on some nonsense and just just chill out. I used to like put yeah, Dave absolutely. on, but they seem to have the QI theme blare out ridiculously loud, so you sort of nod off, <laughs> and then it's like the QI played like death metal. Yeah. <laughs> I get really pissy if I've just fallen asleep and I get woken up as well. I'm not a very good being woken up. Yeah. First thing you see is Sandy Toxvig. Curse you, Toxvig, you've done it again. <laughs> it's like they know people go to sleep to QI, so they play it louder. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that annoying volume where if you turn it down, then you can't hear it at all. It's like Dave aren't stupid. They know what they're doing. <laughs> The good thing about that working um, into the night when everyone else has gone to bed is you get into a sort of zone where there is no time and you don't worry about, you don't even sort of consider anything else. You just are in your little room with your with your work and mm. your music and it, it just, you can just really chill out and work. That's what I've always, always found. So it's, it's a really nice way to work that. I used to do that when I was editing the first film I made where Kat, my wife would be like, oh, uh, I'm going to bed. I'll be like, I'll be up in an hour. I'm just going to do a bit more of this. And if next thing I know, she'd be on stage. She'd be like, did you come to bed? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> but I used to sit up all night all the time. But now I just, just even thinking about it exhausts me. <laughs> it's crazy how productive you can be, though, in those sort of, you know, twilight hours 
it's sort of the golden it's like the 2 a.m miracle isn't it where everything sort of weirdly comes together yeah it's uh it's like that with writing it's 95 percent staring at it and then just hitting a point and then you just go yeah i i, I find writing quite hard easier now than it used to be but still quite hard it is that thing of um sort of feeling around thinking like right what am I doing what am I trying to say where am I going but then all of a sudden you just hit that wave and you're like oh this is what I need to say and this is where they're going and and there you go that's it bam that's it it's like you know 60% of that sometimes is usually stuff you end up being in anyway for something better but it's it's yeah, getting there isn't it it's... yeah definitely yeah it's like you I usually write 50 and cut off 45 of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> kill your darlings and <laughs> yeah but um yeah so i suppose that sort of brings us on to the well before we do what we're watching um i know we're always rubbish at this as anybody really listens knows so i apologize in advance but um yeah since we last recorded uh richard donner died um which i don't know about you two but with superman the goonies the lethal weapon films uh, Lady Hawk, all that. It was a huge part of the films I watched growing up. Yeah, he, he, he did the Omen as well. Didn't he did he? the Omen as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love that whole sort of seventies creepy occult movies. I love those so much. Things like The Omen and Rosemary's Baby and Exorcist and all that. But just the atmosphere he created in The Omen, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. He's one of those directors, a bit like Rob Reiner, who is largely always overlooked when you talk about great directors i think because they did so many different sort of things it's always difficult to pin them down as a as easily as you would say a martin scorsese or a steven spielberg well the fact that the guy did the goonies which is a kid's adventure film um mm-hmm. you know the Ultimate omen adventure movie the, the omen which is like a sort of creepy um occult thriller horror lethal weapon which is buddy cop trying to appeal to sort of mainstream guys and gals sort of move uh, adventure movie um you did episodes of the twilight zone i think he worked on yeah the one with the the creature on the wing he just and obviously did superman as well you know it's like the first proper good comic book movie that he could just turn his talents to the next thing and knock it out of the park so, i mean superman's such an amazing movie it is um, so wicked. regardless on where you fall on superman as a character that that's i'd argue that's one of the best interpretations of taking a character from the page to the screen um, i think they genuinely nailed genuinely nailed that character on the screen and that a lot of that is richard donner because i think from um different things i've read the original take was a very campy batman 66 kind of superman i think right even though it was mario puzo it was very silly sort of a comedy kind of thing rather than i think it was donna that came in and was like no if we're going to do this then you know we need to do it yeah he needs to have screen presence he needs to when he comes out of that phone box he needs to stride out with a purpose and you need to think okay you know shit's getting sorted now 
because I mean I love the the '66 Batman series. I do. It's I think it's, it's very much a piece. It's its own piece, isn't it? It's. But for, for me, my favourite interpretations um, of Batman and Superman are the '66 Batman and the original Superman film. Yeah. Those are still my favourites because for me, Batman is zooming around in the Batmobile with Robin, you know, sock pal punching bad guys, and Superman is swooping around. You know, lifting up trains and things like that, and and those two, they just captured those elements perfectly. I know that you know it's not the the Dark Knight that everybody likes, um, which is cool. You know, I I understand why why people are attracted by that uh, version of Batman, but for me, I just like the the fun and the color and the yeah. You know, well, see, I grew up on the Batman '66, and then obviously Tim Burton's Batman sort of caught me at that right age. Yeah, oh, well, so that's much into that, but it's it's always been Superman for me has been the go-to comic movie. I don't watch it as much as I should, given how much I love it. But it's one of those films that I've really got to work up to watching, and that sounds like damning with faint praise kind of thing. But you know, so it really feels like a treat. It's not one that I can just keep chucking on. Oh yeah, definitely. I've got loads of movies like that that I'll I'll watch once every five or six years or so because i don't want to overwatch it you know i I, mm. I want to have that set to one side as a treat work my way up to that one because yeah he went from the omen straight into superman which is quite a contrast it is yeah because i think it's... superman is the first film that i remember the music for yeah you know like i remember the music really and noticing it and it having an impact. I mean, the, the score was was brilliant. That's oh, superb. It's, but but yeah, that um, the Goonies I loved as a kid. It's one of those films I loved it so much as a kid I can't bring myself to watch it as an adult. Oh, it's still good. Yeah, I know. I just I I will get to it. It's just I don't know. You know that thing. The nostalgia is so important to me that I kind yeah. of. Yeah. It's, I don't want to break it. It's tricky as well because it's a movie about being at a certain time in yeah. your life, a certain place. So you resonated it with it so strongly because you were in that place that now going back and watching it, even if you still think it's a good movie, there's a bit of a sweet side to it because it's that's a world you can never live in again. Those doors are closed. So well, that's it. I remember watching it a lot on a Tuesday after school when we go to my mum's house. We used to go on a Tuesday after school. And um yeah, we used to watch that and we'd have do you remember when they did that brief period where they did chicken nuggets with the ketchup already in them? <laughs> yeah. I remember eating those and watching the Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> Wicked. It was like <laughs> fucking blissful time. <laughs> so yeah. so kids seen the Goonies? Uh no. Um it's a tough sell to kids. My kids that's anyway. what I was going to say. Is it another, another kind of thing that's putting you off? Is the fact that perhaps your kids won't be interested in it and it will kind of spoil it for you? I know they won't. It? I've been trying to get them to watch The Princess Bride for years and they just will not yeah. touch it. Yeah, that's a monsters. one. Monsters. I was trying to, I've been trying to get my nephew and my niece to watch The Labyrinth and they're not interested. Well, and I can't it, say I blame it, them. It's tricky though because The Princess Bride <laughs> is, that's actually like quite a. Uh, uh, not an adult story but it's a story i think that is more appreciated by adults watching it as uh, more of a sort of kids adventure i, admit, I think i enjoy it more as an adult than i did as a kid 
Yeah, I do as well. I enjoyed it when, when I watched it as a kid, but now I watch it as an adult, I get more of the jokes, I get more of the, um, just more fun from it, really. Yeah, I think I just engage with it more. Yeah. Mm. You realise how clever it is when you're older. But it's, but yeah, and I mean, you've got the lethal weapons. All right, three and four, arguably not as up there as one and two, but one and two. I really need to watch those again. I haven't seen those for a long time. I always See, I, leaned more to the the fantasy and the horror and things like that. When it was um, cops and helicopters and things like that, I'd, I'd be like, okay, you know, I'll watch <laughs> them every day. <laughs> They're kind of ridiculous, but um, like you know, Donna's direction and Mel Gibson and um, Danny Glover's chemistry is just superb. Um, yeah, my girlfriend, she she loves those. I'll, um. I'm definitely going to have to watch those again because I had a real urge recently um, to rewatch all like the 80s classics like Gremlins and all the irony movies and things oh, like yes. that. So I think I'll have to put the Lethal Weapons on there on the list as well. Yeah. Just, you know, every Sunday, chuck in another nice cheesy 80s movie. So, I've been I've been doing that a lot as well. Things like I've been going through like the John Candy movies and the Bill Murray movies. You know, the kind of like like the other day, I I was watching Weekend at Bernie's. Um, you know, just the kind of proper, almost like don't really have to concentrate. A bit crude in places, you know. Yeah. And is this? I just find a real comfort in those, you know. I so, think. Well, speaking well, of Bill just, Murray, he did Scrooge as well. Yeah, that's a brilliant. Yeah. Film. Which really I, from everything I know, Richard Donner and Bill Murray did not get along at all. But you wouldn't know it from the final film. Hmm. I think a lot of people struggle to get on with Bill Murray sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I think he he definitely does things his own way. Yeah. And a lot of the time things are strong for him because he's Bill Murray. <laughs> he's, he's kind of earned the right. Yeah. It's as much as I like Chevy Chase, by all accounts, Chevy Chase is an arsehole. And you kind of look at his career now and you're like, where did that get you, though, Chevy? It's that thing of... <laughs> That's what I, was about, I was about to say that. I mean, it was like, that whole kind of SNL kind of group, wasn't it? They're yeah. all apparently really awkward, like John Belushi as well. They're really kind of awkward to work with. And Chevy and, um, um, yeah, Steve Martin and that kind of thing. It's just that thing with Bill Murray when he's in a film. You, you just, you never forget his performance or he's the one thing that usually draws you to it. Because I was always a big fan of Little Shop of Horrors. That's a yeah. wicked film for all of the talent that's in that like Rick Moranis and um, Steve Martin and things like that it's always Bill Murray's little scene that the dentist yeah in the dentist that just cracks me up it's just so good see Bill Murray and Steve Martin are two of my comedy heroes so that film plus Steve Martin's dentist song is fucking ace it is brilliant so good and but, um you ever seen the is it the man who knew too little the yes Bill I That's, love that film. It's brilliant. It's so good. It's that and What About Bob are like two of my favourite Bill Murray films. Yeah, yeah, that is a good one. Of, of, especially of the ones that are largely overlooked by people. Was that the, was that Richard Dreyfuss? The What yeah. About Bob? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where he's completely neurotic about everything. Yeah. Oh, I That's need it. to watch those again as well. They're great. I watched What About Bob not long ago. I might watch it again this year so I can add it to my list. But, I think one of the one of the strengths for um, 80s movies and 70s movies as well is the hour and a half 
time time scale. One hundred percent. You know, half an hour for each. You know, start, middle, and end. It's just usually nicely compacted in that format, and you can just chuck it on, and it like things very rarely drag. It just trips along at a really good pace. And that's my problem scenes. The Judd Apatow ones and that. It's like they're great, but you overstay your welcome by a good half hour to an hour in some cases. Yeah. It's like if you just knock this out at 90 minutes, 90 minutes is the perfect time. Two hours for a thriller or like a Marvel movie kind of affair, hour and a half for a comedy. Yeah, the the only films that need to be longer than that are Lord of the Rings, and we've had those. So everyone else, go back to the hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because they pushed it with the Hobbit. So, but but yeah, no, it's um, like I say, it's just I mean the X Men films as well. He was largely instrumental in producing those with his wife. Um, but yeah, no, it's like I say he was he, he was a good age. That always sounds wrong to say, doesn't it? He, he reached a yeah. good age. Well, good I mean, yeah. ninety-one. 91 years you know that's that is you've lived a good life definitely (laughs) you know if you you get to that age then you know it's like people would say you you know what did he die of it's like he was 91 (laughs) he died died because he was 91 (laughs) he died of life he had a lot of it in fact he had too much of it (laughs) he overdosed on life yeah he made people fly he gave us a crazy mel gibson before mel gibson went crazy crazy yeah exactly he he was the the alpha goonie he was (laughs) (laughs) but and he was a guy as well who you could genuinely tell had a passion for the films he was making it definitely seems to come across when you see him interviewed about him even the ones he didn't particularly like in the end i think he still had a passion for it which ones didn't he like I don't well not didn't like didn't enjoy the experience of making so like right. Scrooge I don't think he enjoyed the experience of making it right so much but yeah I might be put, just I might be misreading into things he said but but like I say it's just it's one of those things it's he was such a staple of my youth it's even though well, he was 91 that's the trouble. Still a weird shot. We're all sort your, of hitting that age now, aren't we? Where all your favourites start fading away. <laughs> that's it. You feel like that that world that that builds up your your memories and your kind of the way you uh, you see the world. They all start to fade away, and you think, oh no, it'll be me next. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we've got Zack Snyder. Oh yeah, of course, old Zack Snyder. Anyway, yeah. on that bombshell. <laughs> Let's switch. Well, saying that, I did enjoy the really long Justice League. I yeah, I mean we we did a whole spoiler special thing on that, didn't we? But it was it was fine. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I enjoyed it, was... it more than Army of the Dead. I think maybe. Oh, I didn't watch that. I didn't even know that was Zack Snyder. I just saw oh, it. From two two minutes up. into it, you'll know it's Zack Snyder. <laughs> oh right, okay. I just knew it was a about zombies and it had Batista the wrestler in it and I thought no I'm not that bothered he's he's good as a Guardians of the Galaxy character but I don't need to see him shooting zombies yeah I mean Andy and I sort of discussed it before but I think it would have been better if they just leaned into the fun of the premise Mm. instead of trying to make a straight serious movie 
if they'd had it that because it's set in vegas right yeah because they're breaking into a casino right uh, if they'd had it that the batista was a, a wrestler in vegas and he had to wrestle his way out through all the zombies slamming them, <laughs> ripping them in half and all that sort of thing stoning and stuff yeah. yeah it was a bit more like Mars attacks it had a you know sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek sort of feel to it and he was <laughs> did you ever see it as a comic book i think it was by rob zombie and it was called um el fantasmo i think uh, i saw he turned it into a cartoon didn't he yeah it's like a, a mexican wrestler character who, who fights the paranormal and um yeah proper kind of kitschy um sort of 60s pulp adventure type thing with this this crazy wrestler guy who's out there slamming vampires and things yeah i didn't read the comic i saw some of the cartoon but i must admit i struggled with it but then i was the opposite he'd, he'd, also, he'd also just ruined halloween so <laughs> yeah he old rob zombie he has an awful lot of effort um a lot of energy and puts in a lot of effort but he needs someone to lead him through a film. <laughs> yeah. His, we need somebody to say, you're overthinking it, Rob. Yeah, because I, I really enjoyed about 50% of his, what was that, uh, the, the Witches of Salem, I think it was called? I've not seen it. Right, half of that is quite good, and you can see what he's trying to do. And then the other half is so overblown and so over the top, and it's like, look, just take it back a few steps, Rob, because you, you're doing pretty well there if you don't go over the top. But he, he can never stop. Always pushes it too far, and yeah. not in a way that is too gory or there's, you know, too much bad language or that sort of stuff. It's not even that. It's just that what he does in, what you could do in one scene, you could show in a few seconds. He leaves on mm. screen for like 50 seconds to three minutes, and it just loses all its impact if you do it that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big gore guy anyway. But I thought it. He had interesting ideas in his Halloween. It just, I mean, Michael Myers is one of those characters that the less you know about him, the better. Exactly. Yeah, you do. It's the origin story thing again, isn't it? That we spoke about last podcast. But Halloween is one of those films that is so well um, edited and cut and crafted. Yeah. And it does all its little tricks really cleverly the way it does it. Why would you even bother trying to, to remake it? Well, that's it. The most effective stuff in the original Halloween isn't the kills. It's the Michael stalking people. Yeah, of course. Like somebody walking across scene and he's in a doorway in the background. And then when they walk back, he's gone. Yeah, I can't even think about I can't even remember any of the gore scenes in Halloween. Not to say there aren't any in there, but they're not important. No. Not as important mm-hmm. as the face at the window or the shadow that steps out of a cupboard or, you know, is is always there in the background. That That's what that film's about. You know, it's, it's kind of the thing that concerns me with the new halloween that's coming out this year allegedly is that from the trailer it just looks a little bit kill count right rather than yeah i'm i'm such an old fuddy daddy when it comes to horror movies for me horror kind of ended with nightmare on elm street that was the last horror movie i saw that i thought yeah oh actually maybe the the descent when they went down into the potholes and things yeah that was, that was a great like, film i've got no desire to ever watch it again though because it was proper creepy or just yeah it was proper creepy and yeah it's like i'm glad i've seen it and it's a very good film and i liked it but i didn't enjoy it because it was not a fun experience (laughs) well that's for me it means that that filmmaker as an artist has totally done his job because he's shown how 
horrible an idea potholing is. If you went and did it, I'm sure that while you were doing it, you're like, okay, I'm going through this now, but when I get out, I never want to do this again because it was horrible <laughs> idea. Well, yeah, the whole idea of that being underground in a confined space there's a bit in the second jack reacher book where i had to, i literally had to close it and put it down where he's crawling through a cave and he gets to a point where he gets stuck oh gosh just i, I just fucking had a panic attack reading it and i was like nope like nope i was on a train coming back from um disneyland paris at the time <laughs> my wife looked at me she's like you're right i was like yeah it's just got to a bit in the book but i can't she's like, it's a <laughs> i was like yeah but it's fucking stuck and and then later on in the book he does the same fucking thing again <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just it's just a bit where you can just feel the rats crawling all over him and he can't move and yeah i know exactly what you mean yeah it just screams and no it's yeah <laughs> yeah I, 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 I could never be an action hero as soon as it's like you know you got to crawl through that tight vent it's like it's like in aliens when bishop has to crawl through that pipe there's part yeah. of me that's like yeah if he gets stuck oh yeah no. yeah definitely no, I'll take my chances with the aliens, I think. Facehugger so we seems more repeating. We went to Universal Studios one year for the Halloween Horror Nights, where they oh, cool. do these walkthroughs based on different, you know, they did a Halloween one and they did a, um, <clears throat> they did an Aliens one, actually, which was really cool. Like sort of people jumping out in the alien Amazing. costumes and things. And um, you've got the little blip sound of the, the scanner going off. And like they did it really well. Um, and my girlfriend Kaz, she jumps and is terrified of everything, but I'm too busy looking at like how they've made it and too much. Oh, that's cool, that's cool. But the only bit that really did creep me out is part of the walkthrough. You had to get on your knees and you had to go through a little tunnel to get to the other side, and you just know that halfway along, some bugger of a face hugger ham ham puppet's going to try and get you or something. Yeah. And you could see the eggs at the other end of the tunnel bit. <laughs> And the little blip noise is going off. And it's like, I know this isn't real, but the atmosphere they've created with the sound and yeah. the, the claustrophobia and everything, it's like, yeah, this is, I'm going to get through this bit quite quickly. <laughs> There's always that thing in the back of my mind with those, though, is like, you know, I know this isn't real, but this would be the perfect time for an alien to actually appear and kill me. Because <laughs> I'd be like, it's just a dude in a suit. Yeah. Yeah. ripped in half like bishop <laughs> <laughs> maybe the aliens have seen the film aliens <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're aware yeah smarter but <laughs> maybe they like irony <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah now all that shit people going through tight spaces it's like that old army advert that they used to show before films at the cinema where the guy goes underwater and his foot gets caught oh god yeah and it's about you know what would you do in this situation it's like i would freak the fuck out yeah well i saw the, which is why you, i'm not currently off fighting an enemy somewhere you remember those um uh the kids that got caught in the caves i think it was in south oh, the football team yeah well the yeah, guy the guy who was part of the rescue team to go and rescue them has written a book about it and he was a, a cave diver over here he was like a specialist they phoned yeah. him up and he he was on a show saying about what they had to do and it was going down deep down into these caves and swimming for like three miles through these little gaps and things in complete darkness it was like and two then, hours underwater or something wasn't yeah it? and then popping up and finding these kids and then having to um carry sort of swim back through these caves in darkness in these tiny little cramped areas like dragging and carrying these these sedated youngsters with them making sure they didn't drown and it's 
it's proper you know action hero stuff yeah they're like on stretchers or something weren't they the kids yeah which yeah. i mean i'd want to be sedated because i wouldn't want to be led there being taken through that not knowing well, that, what the that's fuck the is going they, on yeah it's the reason why they had to do it is because for all the will in the world of like no i'll be fine you know yeah no be, i wouldn't be i'd be like knock me the fuck out <laughs> You'd be banging like, your head on the like, like, I'm going to knock right? myself out. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, no. Oh, I ain't sleeping well tonight, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they showed a bit of that on the news, like what they had to do, and I had to leave the room. So like, I can't watch this. Mm. So God forbid I'm ever in that situation, because I will be the guy. That, you know how you, you, know, you watch films like Daylight and that? You're like, yeah, I'd be like Stallone. I'd be the cool guy who gets us all calm. I wouldn't be. I'd be the guy freaking out who fucking ruins it for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be the girl in Jaws too who can't stop screaming and attracting the fucking shark. You'd be the Steve Buscemi character that's freaking out in the corner. So I'd be tied to a chair. <laughs> yeah. Like Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I suppose that sort of Steve, have you seen Sorry. Sorry, I was gonna say one more thing. Steve, did you see Leather Monsters? I did, yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, I I I thought it was really good. Is a bit of a monster expert. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I liked the um, monster designs. I liked yeah. the fact that the main character came across a dog that was <laughs> just the best bit about it. You know, any yeah. film like that where you've got a lone adventure and rather rather than coming up and uh, meeting up with other humans, if they come up with, come across some kind of animal companion that leads them through i'm like yeah i'm well into this <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought it was good it was obviously like a setup for other stuff yeah kind of like a premise really um but i think it did its, its job pretty well actually it left me thinking okay I'm, I'm interested to see what's next go off into another territory see whatever beasties pop up mm. yeah i really enjoyed it mm. that was I one thought it was a- to me it was yeah i think it was yeah. a proper fun film it was yeah i really enjoyed it yeah it got to a point where i was i hadn't watched anything on netflix for a long time i was sort of too busy or nothing had popped up and then that popped up that i, I watched i thought oh, that was good and then somebody else recommended cobra kai to me mm. so i've been watching yeah. that and really watch enjoying that. that i'm really enjoying um i think you should leave don't oh, okay. turn me on to it Yes, I've heard of that. It's potentially an acquired taste. And it it took me in like a couple of episodes to sort of understand the rhythm of what I was watching, if that makes any sense. So it's not like an obvious sort of sketch show. Yeah. But um but yeah, it's really good. They're only like fifteen minutes long each episode as well, so you can Well, you can play through them. I'm trying to pace them and Partly because I know Camels when the kids are around and the wife's got no interest in it. So. Yeah, I think I've seen the first couple of those. Um, is it the one where, like, the first scene, I think it might be the first episode, there's a guy in a cafe and he can't get the door open? Yeah. It's, yes. Yeah, I thought they were really good, actually. And one of them ends with a guy on a plane. That's right, yeah. They're going yeah, off on their honeymoon, the guy sat next to him. He's yeah. like been waiting all his life to get his revenge because when the one guy was going on his honeymoon was a baby, he cried all the way through a flight and ruined it for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge um, fan of American comedy a lot of the time. I sort of think mm, that 
doesn't necessarily work for me but now and then something pops up I'm like okay that's got the the sort of rhythm and the, the style of comedy that that I think works and that was one of the ones that I left on my must watch more list yeah it's got it's not the same but it's got like a reverent sort of big train sort of feel to it yeah yeah I thought that um or a little bit reminding me like of um, naked video or yeah you know those older sketch shows where where it's actually funny lines with good timing rather than just waiting for the can laughter sort of thing that's it but yeah what about anybody watched any exciting movies recently or i suppose the big ones that came out with the tomorrow war and black widow yeah i've seen both of them are they good tomorrow war if if you like independence day tomorrow war is perfect oh it's kind of what the sequel to independence day should have been Oh, okay. I definitely yeah, should have been like out. a grand war, but it's I a, mean, it's a bit... the one about they're going to make a sequel, and it does not need a sequel at all. The day after tomorrow war. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's it's a bit um yeah, it's like the Terminator crossed with Starship Troopers, isn't it? I thought. Yeah, it's stupid. Oh, well, that's cool. It's, I it's mean, wonderfully stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think both of those movies are awesome. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Anything Paul Verhoeven gets a thumbs up from me, and got to love a Terminator film. I know some of them are a bit <laughs> bit dodgy, but I like all of them. Yeah. Well, they no, yeah, two. I really enjoyed this. You got sorry? So they only made two Terminator films. So. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my girlfriend loves... Her favourite film is Terminator 2, so anything with uh, uh, Terminator or Arnie in gets a thumbs up from her. <laughs> the problem with Terminator 2 is it's the same with aliens to alien 3 is that anything afterwards everything you've invested is just completely undone and i quite like terminator 3 it's got a great ending it's bleak as fuck yeah yeah i think i just see it as it's that whole doctor who fractured timelines and different possibilities and all that sort of stuff i just see that as yeah it has um, to be now because they've tried to reboot it multiple times yeah i think to be fair the only way you could have a concise trilogy is that T2 is the end, and then if you do a third one, you go back to before, and you do the story of them sent, getting Carl Reese to send back. Yeah, well, that's what everyone was waiting for, wasn't it? They wanted to see that proper, um, like, the future with the Terminators crushing the skulls and the hunter killers and shooting mm. laser beams and all that sort of stuff. That's what everyone was waiting for. That's it, and then I, they did it with Salvation, and which I, I enjoy, but it's not a Terminator film. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like it's they got... That nobody close. really terminates anybody. <laughs> yeah, they got close to almost doing it, but they didn't do... I mean, they've got it set out, that little scene in Terminator 2 that shows you the future. It's like, okay, yeah. take that and elaborate on that and just show us what I it would be like. I think the problem was they that. were building a new trilogy was the plan. Right. So you had Terminator to Terminator 3 as one trilogy, and then I think Salvation was going to be like the future war trilogy that would end with Kyle Reese getting sent back right i I think was the plan but obviously salvation sort of dropped the ball because this is the trouble with a lot of films that are too busy trying to set up the sequel they forget to be a satisfying self-contained thing in themselves yeah well i think the problem is when they think okay this is going to be a trilogy but they haven't got enough for a trilogy or their heads aren't together to make a trilogy I like, know oh, it's the kind of thing you need to like Lord of the Rings it where if you're committing to a trilogy you commit to a trilogy come what may with the first yeah. film can completely tank but you've got to follow through on it. Well also you need one creative mind that has a story to tell and it would take it through all three of them. I mean New Star Wars is a perfect example of what happens 
if you're not all on the right track yeah on the same yeah thing. don't don't get me started on that <laughs> <laughs> oh no constantly <laughs> yeah. trying to outdo each other which say what you like about the prequels george lucas had a plan i know people like to point out that you know he hastily rewrit things based on the black backlash against jar jar binks but the ultimate story it went to its end point it did yeah he, he, it went through it felt like a consistent story and he knew what he was trying to say and he got there in the end and the fact that he wrote he wrote things to take away jar jar binks you know that's all credit thumbs up thanks for that we didn't want more jar jar binks if but anything, it's... making him responsible for ultimately what happens afterwards, because he's he's the one who sort of finally cast the vote to let Palpatine into the Senate, means that oh, yeah. you're right to heap all your hatred onto him. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of, I've come round to not hating Jar Jar as much, partly because I feel really sorry for the guy who played him, because he got so much shit from Bellens. Yeah. yeah that I've kind of just got a soft spot for the character now because of him. Because it's not his fault. It's, no, it's a fine whole... character. Kids seem to like it. I mean, it's yeah, there's yeah. a racial stereotype issue pro- that you can throw against it, kind of thing. But on the whole, it was a well-intentioned character. It wasn't like George Lucas was like this or fuck him off. What I like about it is, for a trilogy, the first one is incredibly colourful, and you do have characters like Jar Jar Binks, and yeah, it's annoying to uh, more mature Star Wars fans, but the kids love it. But what it does do is it helps heighten that really cool arc from a bright, colourful world um, where everyone's sort of mixing together to ultimately what you've got with Revenge of the Sith is everything's broken and fractured and the good guys are killing the younglings and it just gets dark. You know, it goes from colour to darkness and you've got that nice arc. And it, you know, I, I think Revenge of the Sith is awesome. Yeah, I mean, Lucas always said that that was what people were waiting for. So one and two were always going to get, you know, the short end of the stick kind of thing in regard- mm. fans' eyes, because all people wanted to see was the fall of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's things I change about Phantom Menace. I probably would have had Anakin older, so you yeah. went on a journey with him through three films with the same character, same actor. But yeah, yeah, definitely. So it wasn't so weird when he suddenly turned up and was like massive. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have that weird whatever it is 10 year time jump or yeah however long it's supposed to be but then yeah disney came along and was like those are fucking golden <laughs> this is what we're gonna do but it's fine there's fans of those films too oh i i like the the ones they made uh the the last ones they made they are flaws and there's crazy bits to them but I just I feel so frustrated because they could have done something absolutely. Well, yeah, awesome. a trilogy is not the time to be like, yeah, come in and do whatever you want. It's, yeah. it's not it's not the space to experiment. If you want to do that last Jedi shit, that's cool. But do it off in this film. My problem with those is that pretty much everything at the end of Return of the Jedi, they all revert back to the characters they were in A New Hope. Right. So the journey they went on was for nothing. And it also robbed us of the thing we all really wanted to see, which was Han, Luke, Leia and Chewie back in the Millennium Falcon together. Yeah. And, you know, if you wanted to pay off fan service, I know it would be fan service, but. And it's just we never got it. Yeah, and I always. There's a deep sadness about that because we never will get it now, unfortunately. I, I never thought that was going to happen, though, for some reason. No, I don't think I did. But at the same time. 
I wanted it. I knew that they were going to kill off each of the the trilogy of the older characters, one each film. I could just... Yeah, that's why I was so worried for Lando when he popped up in the trailer for Rise <laughs> of Skywalker. <laughs> well, that... like, yeah, Lando's... Oh, they're going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> but they yeah, didn't. We all knew that was going to be Leia's um, last yeah. last one. Song, I, I, song. Yeah. I knew that they would take out Han in the first one. Because yeah, because I figured that would be the only reason he'd come back, because it's what he yeah. always wanted. I just... His death didn't feel earned. Well, it also didn't actually make any real sense as to why it happened. Yeah. Because later on, there should have been more reason as to why it happened. The seeds were planted in that first one. The way that the, the lighting changed and he said, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm strong enough to do what I need to do myself and all that kind of stuff. It, there, it, there was like he was hinting that there was more there that it was like some sort of secret mission or there was some manipulation properly from a fire which obviously they then later on said there was but it, there wasn't enough explained as to what happened or why or what was going on that's what i think anyway <laughs> yeah I think, yeah i just i don't know it felt like it should have been that whole trilogy should have been something better it felt a little bit like, I mean, Force Awakens felt a little bit like they'd settled on a story rather than they were like, we've got this amazing story. And I think from there, it was just downhill with the, yeah, we haven't really got a story. Do what you like. And then oh, JJ, can you come back? Because we kind of let him do what he likes and he's kind of fucked it. The, the thing for me is I always thought when they started to tell this new story after I'd seen the first one, um, Force Awakens, I always thought the best way to tell that story would be to reveal that Palpatine was the person who put Anakin in his mother's belly yeah. using using the Force. So he'd learned from his master how to create life. And he created Anakin as this sort of like prodigal son creation that he could then use to take over the universe as a sort of puppet master. Yeah. And when he created that life, that's what caused the the disturbance in the force. The fact that somebody was able to manipulate the force to create life rather than just the natural balance be allowed to happen. So that sort of caused the whole problem that Yoda sensed kind of thing. And of course, that creation that he created, Anakin, then turned out because of his his love for um, his kids to be sort of tainted. And Anakin then turned on Palpatine and destroyed him. So when he started to come back, I thought it would be cool if, if he thought, right, I'll, I'll, I'll try again this time. And, and he had created Ray and he was just trying to do it again, but, you know, in a slightly different way and manipulating things from the distance and stuff like that. Because then if you look at those movies, all nine of them, it's not so much the Skywalker saga, it's the Palpatine saga. He started yeah. it and then in the end, the result of his muddling and, and messing about and creating Ray, who really all of her anxiety is the fact she doesn't fit in anywhere or she doesn't know who she is. She's just a creation of this ultimate evil. But it's her teaming up with the Skywalker family and Luke and all that who accept her for what she is. That sort of love, you know, it's, it's cheesy, but it's love that keeps everything going. That ultimately is his, his, his total downfall when they all turn and finally destroy him at the end. So yeah, that's where I thought they might be going with it. But that would make too much sense. 
<laughs> well, it would also have meant that Disney would have to reveal the fact that Palpatine was just a, a psychic rapist, really, wouldn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. And that would be a tricky thing for them to to get around. By our Palpatine psychic rapist figure. <laughs> but I I would have loved it if if in the end, because like Harry Potter is one of the, the biggest movie franchises for however many years or whatever so you could nick a bit from that in that ray is the harry potter character um who when at the end has to confront palpatine who's like the voldemort character and he is using his lightning to try and beat her sort of thing if it's at that point then all of the old jedi ghosts turn up like with Harry when he's surrounded by all the ghosts of his family when he's sort of confronting Voldemort in the fourth film, I think it is, or whatever. You've got that, like, all right, you're the lone small hero character against the big bad, but you're not alone because you're surrounded by all the, the ghosts of the good, you know, all the ones who love you and support you and everything. So actually, it's all of the the family and the love against this one lonely, bitter, twisted old monstrous character who even though it looks like he's the most powerful one when he's unleashing his power it's all reflected back on him and that finally does evaporate him and he's completely sort of you know spread out into the the dust of space kind of thing but again yeah. that's probably me just overthinking it <laughs> <laughs> no i think some of you, you need really to overthink it to be honest <laughs> but but yeah no it's a say i keep meaning to do a big star wars rewatch but i just can't face doing the disney ones <laughs> so it's, it's more they just did nothing for me like i say i get that there are people that like them and i'm completely fine with that it's just for me it ends at return of the jedi yeah you don't really need anything other than um revenge of the sith and those three original movies do you really no i quite enjoy phantom menace Attack of the Clones largely leaves me cold, but I think it's it's got a bit of a pacing issue. I think Attack of the Clones. Yeah, and it just feels a little bit like, you know, we're going to send you and McGregor off to do his James Bond audition, <laughs> kind of thing. It's fine. I love you and McGregor's Obi Wan, but it just feels a little bit like, I don't know. And the whole Anakin, Padme love story is a bit wonky. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is the weaker one of that original trilogy. I, I suppose with with Star Wars now for for me and for a lot of people, Star Wars is now the Mandalorian, and it's that's kind of what everyone's putting their hopes on because it it was such a good series. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping it's not gonna become the uh, launch pad for other TV series though. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it will. The Disney, yeah. there's Star Wars money out there. Got a whole no, I mean, I mean, I hope they don't use it to be kind of like, and this is the backdoor pilot for Bib Fortuna, the series, or whatever. <laughs> kind of thing. I'd, wa- uh, I'd watch Bib Fortuna, the series. Well, I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it just feels that- a little bit as much as I enjoyed the Boba Fett stuff, it did start to feel a little bit like this is a backdoor pilot for the series they really want you to be making. As in Disney, not Dave Filoni and John Favreau. I think now that you sort of put him in a group, let's strip it back. To, and now that, you know, Grogu's 
gone off with Luke, so we'll probably ultimately die because, let's face it, Luke's Jedi classes didn't end well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that's, sort of. that's a bit tricky, that, isn't it? They've kind of... Well, that was the whole thing. Everyone was like, yeah, Luke took him. I was like, you remember what happened in Force Awakens when they said what Kylo did to, and the Knights of Ren did to Luke's uh, students? It's like, yeah. Oh, oh shit, yeah, he probably is not the best person to send him off with. <laughs> so it was kind of like a yay, oh, kind of moment. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'd quite like to see it sort of stripped back to basics and just a Mandalorian off bounty hunting kind of thing yeah like a villain of the week kind of thing well as an excuse to explore the universe you can't get any better than than a mandalorian or bounty hunter as your main character yeah yeah doing the next job going to the next part of the universe i like to see like car weathers pop up and i quite liked the car june character but obviously that's problematic um not because of the character because of the actress yeah yeah all this all this real life kind of felt like we possibly even reach the end of the road with that character anyway yeah she was a cool character though you could easily replace her with the um bo-katana character the bo-katana yeah yeah so and there's definitely something there with the dark saber so yeah yeah i'd forgotten all about that but it's cool interesting to see where that goes but but yeah um other than that i've mostly been re-watching all oh i watched guns akimbo on amazon prime the Daniel Radcliffe wakes up with guns bolted to his hands. <laughs> I've never heard of that. that if you've got like, Prime, it's worth watching. It's that, quite good fun. That sounds like one of Alan Partridge's suggestions to the BBC <laughs> yeah. heads, along with Monkey. <laughs> it is. Harry is and then he's got to kill hands. the person trying to kill him, otherwise they'll kill his girlfriend. <laughs> and then they play monkey tennis. That's it. <laughs> Give me another series, you shit. Um... <laughs> I watched Independence Day on the 4th of July because it's to. what it was meant for. Yeah, classic. Uh, I rewatched The Rocketeer the other day because I realised it was 30 years old this year. Oh, that's a great film, that I one. I love that film. Not I, many films have managed to capture that sort of um, 40s, 50s pulp adventure strip feel like The Rocketeer did. I love that film so much that I can't read the comic. Because I discovered the film before I even knew it was a comic. I've just never been able to bring myself to actually read the comic, which sounds awful being a comic book fan. But Is that because you don't think it'll be any good or because... I think I project the film onto it and I think right. there'd possibly be too, be too much of me like, oh, that's not how it is in the film kind of thing. I will so, get to it eventually. It's just my enthusiasm to actually read it because of my love of the film. And it's weird because I didn't want to like the film first time I watched it because... I wanted to go and watch Edward Scissorhands instead. Right. <laughs> which is a film that, as much as I love Tim Burton, I largely don't like. But because I was so into Batman at the time, I just really wanted to watch Edward Scissorhands. But we were told we were watching The Rocketeer, so you just have to fucking like it. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it used to be like when we were kids. Exactly. And <laughs> went to watch it in the cinema, and I sort of, you know, pretended I didn't like it for a long time. But then as it rolled around on TV and video and that just, you know, absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah, it's it's, I mean, I'm always torn with that. Um, in the one hand, it's a shame it didn't get a sequel. On the other hand, it's perfect as a one and done. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like it's almost, if they did do a sequel, they would have tried to put in extra stuff that wasn't 
you didn't have the feel of what the Rocketeer is. I see. You'd have to send him off to war, and because that's obviously with the Nazis and everything, that's what it was building up to. Yeah. So it'd be the Rocketeer at war, and it's just kind of that's not the same pulpy Indiana Jones feel. I mean, you could do it like that, but then once you start incorporating Nazis and in being overseas fighting them kind of thing it starts to feel a little more like an Indiana Jones film I think they played the Nazi thing in the original just right yeah but so is the comic book the story from the film then I think there's elements of it in the film I don't think it's just I don't know if it's like I said I've not read it so I can't 100% say um I think there are different things in it as is always the case with these things yeah but from what I can gather Billy Campbell is the spit of Cliff Secord in the comics or in the Dave Stevens comic. Yeah, I think they they tried incredibly hard to capture the the look and feel. Well, I was listening to an interview with him today and he said when he went in for the original uh, original audition, he had long hair and a beard. So they pretty much dismissed him straight away and were chasing bigger people. Then they were going to give it to Johnny Depp. So Ah. Billy Campbell's agent went into the meeting with was invited into the meeting with Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp's agent because it was the same firm. And he like sold him on reasons why Johnny Depp should do the Rocketeer and then started doing all the reasons why he shouldn't. Right. And he passed it. But um, Billy Campbell had gone to his, he'd gone to the comic shop to get the comic because again, he'd not realised it was a comic. So he got interested and then went and got that. Realised how much he looked like um cliff in the comic went to the barbers and was like give me a 1930s haircut and shave me <laughs> so he sort of made that himself a spit of it. but but yeah it's um, i can't remember what the podcast was um I'll, I'll send you the link in the chat at some point um but yeah it's worth a listen it was it's quite an interesting thing um but yeah like i say it's just that dick tracy two of my favorite comic book movies yeah, Dick Tracy is a really, really good comic book movie. It's yeah. one that people don't ever really mention, but it's just they put so much effort and style and really observed those old comic strips and really translated it so well into that film. The colour palette, the lighting, the way they set up shots and scenes. Um I just that that one bit where he I think he gets um he gets a whooping from his dad in the shed in the garden on and the, the shed sort of moving from side yeah. to side the whole thing is swaying and it's just so brilliantly cartoony but yeah it's when dick tracy's beating up the tramp isn't it for... that's right yeah yeah because I, I i remember seeing it when i was a kid and it first came out and i thought oh, i don't really get it what it's trying to do but then when i was older and i'd actually read some of the old dick tracy comic books and you know had a bit of, of a better idea of how things were put together and i was like god that's bloody good that is <laughs> yeah see i got massively swept up in the hype of dick tracy that summer the summer of 1990 it's the point where I, by the time i was sat down in the cinema watching it i was like chomping at the bit for it yeah of course that was just after batman wasn't it so yeah running off that whole wave of how successful that was and that's a film that didn't have any plans for a sequel in mind because he, his entire Rose Gallery is in that film and he kills them all off. Yeah. I think apart from Mumbles, they all get it. So I'm going to have to watch that again. I think that's wicked, that film. It's one I like to watch. I'm not sure if I've ever seen it. Shocking. Yeah, I don't think so. Andy's off this podcast. 
<laughs> There's still time, Andy. There's still time. But yeah, and then other than that, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I lent you the DVD, didn't I? If I didn't, yeah, I've got it on DVD and Blu-ray, so or it's on Disney Plus. I'm sure. Is it oh, on yeah, Disney Plus? I'm yeah, sure it's on Disney Plus. It would, yeah. It's got to be. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I watched Field of Dreams and Vanilla Sky, which are two films that make me cry. I'm not yeah, ashamed I to admit it. I saw um, saw you putting up links to lots of different films. That I, I was like, I haven't seen that, and I haven't seen that. I made a constant uh, conscious effort this year that I'm going to make a note of all the films I watch. I'm going to make a note of all the comics I read. Um, but yeah, sorry. What about you, Andy? What have you been watching? Um, so I, as I said, I've gone back to the eighties movies. Uh, I watched what did I watch? Oh, uh, actually, eighties and nineties. I watched Over the Top. Oh nice. yes, Over the Top. A film about a guy who yeah. wants to fuck his son. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> It is an uh, odd I, film. Yeah, it is. You take absolutely. out the fact they're father and son and replace the son with a girlfriend. No, it's exactly the same. <laughs> it is. The relationship uh, is exactly the same. It hits all those rom-com beats. <laughs> yeah, um, there's quite, quite a few uh, watched... 80s wrestlers in that one as well, over the top. Yeah, yeah. absolutely is, yeah. Scott Norton and people like that. It's, it is a bonkers film, that. Uh, I also, I just get in my movie list because uh, I buy a lot of uh, like cheap movies on iTunes. Um, what have I bought recently? Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, oh, a grudge match. I've not actually seen that yet. I don't know if I've heard of grudge match. Who's in that? Uh, it's got um, Slice Stallone and uh, Robert De Niro. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it called something else? No, I think it is called Grudge Match. It's the one with uh, the boxes, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Uh, Who's Harry Crumb I watched. Uh, Spaceballs. I haven't seen Who's Harry Crumb for years. Mm, the, the Burbs. No. Oh, classic. Yeah, Burbs is yeah, great. Is absolutely pretty good. Oh, I watched The Burbs and then straight after I watched The Money Pit. Nice. Nice Tom Hanks double bill. Yeah. Oh, what about Bob? Yeah. The Money oh, Pit, which Bunny... is a remake of Mr. Plandon's Builders' Dream House. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, a funny Farm with Chevy Chase. Uh, oh, I used Meatballs to love Funny Farm. I watched a few weeks ago. Meatballs used to be one that was in hard rotation back when Comedy Central was the Paramount Comedy Channel. On oh, Saturday okay. night, yeah, they yeah. used to always show Meatballs. Mm. Used to be that, and then, like, I Love You to Death, the Kevin Klein film where his wife's trying to kill him. Um. Yeah, it used to be a hard rotation of, like, 80s comedies. Oh, I'll tell you, another film I watched as well. Have you ever heard of DC Cab? No. No. Uh, Mr. T. <laughs> no. Oh, so yeah, T, yeah. I, I know the one. He's, he's a cab driver. That's right. Is yeah. this one where he drives around picking people up, and then when they haven't got the family, he has sex with them in the back? <laughs> no, no, I don't think, so, I think so. Or is that I fake taxi? Was, um, that's Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> fake taxi, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I, I pet you the fool that picks up Mr. T. Imagine the viewing figures for that episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> watch it, you draw it. <laughs> Been quite a sucker. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Steve? Any standout um, movies? Uh, 
Oh, sorry, um, Andy, we're still going. <laughs> yeah, what else on no, the no, list? You're fine, you're fine. I, I haven't... Uh, I just don't. I haven't really got around to any movies for a long time, to be honest. Well, you had I, a Kickstarter going or something? Jesus. <laughs> I think the last... <laughs> The last thing I did watch, actually, uh, mentioned before, was Starship Troopers. Nice. I hadn't seen it for so long, and um, yeah, I'd, I had the urge to watch RoboCop again, but I thought, no, I've seen that so many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watched something else, Paul Verhoeven, and, and that was a, a classic, the old Starship Troopers. I hated Starship Troopers Quite the first time I watched it. Did you? I did. It just nothing sat right with me. It wasn't until like cl- it clicked that you know they're meant to be Nazis. Right, yeah. yeah. And then once I got it and I was like, Oh, you're supposed to go with that, I get it now. It, yeah, just like weird once you know they're Nazis, you feel less co- uncomfortable about the fact that there's something well, just not right with this whole setup of these. There's good guys. quite a big hint. It's first through the outfit that um uh Yeah, bear in mind it was ninety seven, I was seventeen, eighteen. <laughs> well it, I mean I don't think it's necessarily that they're they're meant to be Nazis. It's just that sort of whole colonial imperialism. Well, yeah. That, you know, like it. Yeah, right. uh, saying they were Nazis was a broad stroke, but. <laughs> well, that it's just basically like the the whole strong military push of, of like America or any big powerful country that's just taking its young and farming them through a military system in order to go and grab resources from somewhere else without really thinking about what you're doing. Yeah, I think Verhoeven did say they were essentially Nazis. <laughs> he's, he's just so good at um, doing a good old wry look at society with a wink and a nod and just basically saying it. it's, it's all mental, isn't it? <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's such an enjoyable movie. I bought the trilogy on blu-ray for like 15 quid ages ago i could never bring myself to watch the sequels oh they're they're naff <laughs> yeah I, they looked like sci-fi movie early 2000s budget kind of job well also they're not done by verhoeven so they don't have that undercurrent of satire to help you to, to carry you through they're they're just more like like you say sci-fi channel b-movie sort of things yeah they're very much cheap cashing jobs but, although the Starship Trooper suits were reused in a uh, one of the series of Power Rangers. Were they? Really? Yeah, I can't remember which one it was. Because my yeah. kids were both into Power Rangers. I started watching um, the guy who does Atop the Fourth Wall. Did a whole like review of each Power Rangers series thing. And there was one where I was like, those suits look like the Starship Troopers suits. And it must have just been, I think it was the, one of the Disney eras. So they must have just been able to get them all from wardrobe. Yeah. yeah whatever you can find in that cupboard, you can yeah. have. That yeah. is your budget for this Power Rangers series. Yeah, paint it orange and stick a beak on it and you'll be the next monster for this episode. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I love some of the monster designs for Power Rangers. Like the Jungle Fury series, some of the creature designs are, are so cool. That whole sort of kaiju rubbery monster suit, I, I like anything like that, so... Power Rangers is right up my street. <laughs> the whole arc thing of Power Rangers is like, there's a really great mythology behind it all. Because I can't be asked to watch the series because they're very. Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. That's what they used them in. All right. Um, I know what you yeah. mean. The, the individual episodes, very formulaic, same thing over and over again. They're very much always ends up in a quarry. If you didn't grow up with Power Rangers, glory, yeah, <laughs> yeah, with weird, like you know, colourful explosions, yeah, 
It's like exploding purple. <laughs> it's like RuPaul's Drag Race or something. <laughs> Some of the choreography on the fight scenes, though, they're proper good, like Jackie Chan style fighting. Yeah. Like, they're kicking the crap out of each other, but because it's all colourful and they're sort of crazy sound effects and rubbery monsters, it's, it's you know, it's okay for it's kids. Acceptable. But, yeah. But the actual martial arts in it, like when it, when it, for the first series, it was sort of like your karate chops and your kicks, but then when you get to the later series, some of the choreography on it is really good. Yeah. It's, like I said, I was just unfortunately slightly too old once Power Rangers started for it to hit me, so I never grew up with it. Oh, I was too old as well. It's just I never grew up, so I just watched. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't grow up, but <laughs> I was just like 14, 15, like, you know, I'd gotten into Batman and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. So Batman Forever was the big film in 95 for me, not the Power Rangers movie. Yeah, yeah. And then but I was Batman like, Robin... there's no Ninja Turtles, is it? <laughs> oh, Ninja Turtles at that time because um, Saban bought the the rights for a series of their yeah they did the next mutation didn't they? yeah the god 90s. that was a mess I've tried I've tried watching I did a piece for Starburst about the various TV iterations of the turtles so I had to watch some of it and I did make my best effort I could to watch as much of it as possible but I just struggled well, at the same sort of time, they were planning a fourth movie as well, which would have um, would have taken them into different dimensions and they would have had further mutations. So um, I think Raph would have would have grown sort of like bone like claws and been yeah. like Wolverine and um, Donatello lost part of his eyesight, but gained tele- telekinetic um, powers and things. So I think they were planning on doing a movie version of the next mutation where yeah. they sort of took it further. But I'm kind of glad they didn't because I think that that would have been pretty. No, I, if, if I'm going to see turtles on the big screen, I want to see the turtles on the big screen. And you can't get better than those Jim Henson suits from the original movie. Oh, God, yeah, definitely. That first movie, I got the, the NECA figures of those original, you know, based on the original suits just on the shelf next to me. Those designs, that for me, that's the best ever yeah. version of the turtles. That was basically my childhood. That movie, I was obsessed with it months before I actually saw it. Yeah, yeah. It's fab. That, and as a, as a kid, I loved two as well. As a, the older I've got, I'm, you know, less inclined to like two. That's secret. That's secret Yeah. Where they were like, we can't have Michelangelo using nunchucks anymore because it sets a bad example for kids. It's like, oh, that's cool then. We'll have him use sausages instead. <laughs> we'll have yeah. them make weapons out of things that your kid could easily get hands on. Well, like the, nunchucks. That... The thing for me... That's is true that... because... Sorry, Steve, go on. No, I was just going to say, the thing for me, that first movie was drawing from the Mirage original series. Yeah. That second movie, mm. for me, was drawing more from the Archie series. Um, so it's... I see each of the movies is kind of leaning towards a different stage of the comic books themselves. Yeah. Um, so I, I give the second one a bit of a pass because I'm like, oh, this is the Archie movie. I, but yeah, that, I enjoy it. It's just not my favourite. The thing with that first one, the the way it was shot and the lighting and everything on that first one, they just, I don't think they ever really made any other kids movies like that there's nothing no. about that movie the way they filmed it and put it together that was trying to appeal to kids it's no. 
<laughs> it's sort of shadowy. It's it's dirty. It's um, yeah, it's just got a completely different atmosphere and feel to to what you would expect a Turtles movie to have, unless you read the original comics and then you're like, yeah, this this totally works. Yeah, it's sort of yeah, they got definitely got more cartoony. And then they actually became a cartoon with the TMNT one, which I really enjoy. Yeah, that was cool. That was totally driven by um, by Peter Laird because he he had full control at that point. Eastman had gone off and sold his half to Laird. So yeah, which um, I think he regrets now. <laughs> well, um, oh, well, old uh, Kev, because yeah. he's well, I well think... he, he was like done with it, wasn't he? He wanted to be out. He wanted to get. It. He bought heavy metal, didn't he? He did, and he, he, started, um, he started Tundra Publishing as well. That's which, right. Which uh, put him completely in loads of debt. He sort of lost lost a lot of the, the huge amounts of cash he did have by trying to set up studios and other ventures and buying Heavy Metal and things like that. Um, so where, the thing with, like, Kevin Eastman's kind of, um, he's like Michelangelo and Raphael and... Peter Laird is like Leo and, and Donatello. So yeah. the energy and the the more sort of um, uh, childish and uh, teenage elements of Kevin Eastman's personality and then also the more sort of stoic and um, just like down-to-earth side of things of Peter Laird, they really b- balanced well when they worked yeah. together. But the trouble is then when they made shitloads of cash... I think the temptation for Kevin was a bit more kind of like, well, I've got shitloads of cash. I'm king of the world. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to do that. And, you know. Well, yeah, but... I can understand to a certain degree they've reached a point with your creation where you've seen it become a TV series, a movie, a fucking live musical stage show thing. Yeah. Um, that you can kind of be like, you know, I'm so done with this. This is not how I want to be defined for the rest of my life. I'm out. You can buy my half kind of thing. But I can also understand the uh, Peter Laird thing of like, I'm just going to sit onto this. These things tend to be secular, so it'll come back around eventually. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 one day I'll sell it to Nickelodeon and I'll have more money than God. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was always, from both of them, there was always a real drive to be um, creative and in control of what they do. Yeah. I just think that Peter Laird was more kind of patient and... Um, took a more measured approach. Uh, whereas Kev, I think was more of a party animal, more of a party dude. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, um, more, uh, more of a wild child out there trying all this different stuff. Whereas I think Pete was kind of playing more of a longer game, which is why when Kev did sell his half to Pete, Pete was like, okay, well, what we're going to do is do what we enjoy doing from the start. And that's start up the comic again. Yeah. So they started to do volume four in about 2002, I think it was, and independently producing the comic again and then building up to a new series, but a series that was drawing from the original comics because those stories had never been told before. And it was just tapping into what was the true strength of the Turtles, which was that original creative idea and that original comic run. That's it. And I think... For Eastman, from a creative point of view, he's doing some of the best stuff on Turtles that he's ever done at this stage now with IDW. I know he's not 
the driving is certainly in some cases a figurehead of it so they can have an original name on it rather than but yeah, he's putting I, out some amazing stuff i think he is because he can be a bit of a wild child i think he works best when he's under certain parameters yeah so when idw come along and say okay well you're kind of an employee of us now we appreciate we we're open to your ideas but it's within this structure and i i expect that um it was just tricky for peter to keep kevin in a certain structure when he was uh, you know king of the world he he was he was do whatever he wanted sort of thing yeah but yeah, yeah. the the idw run at the moment is really good really knocking out of the park yeah, to be over 100 issues in, which is longer than any Turtles comic has run as well, and still be firing on all cylinders with largely the same creative force behind it. I yes. know, you know, so, artists Sophie and writers Campbell, switching it out, but Sophie Campbell is 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 run is sort of driving it, writing yeah. it, and doing the artwork at the moment, and she's phenomenal. Her her page layouts and the action in her fights and the um, expression in the faces and the characterizations everything she does in that book is incredible and i mean she's getting a bit of flack at the moment because she's concentrating on the um on the emotions of the characters and the situations they're in so there's a lot more dialogue than just going out and punching ninjas and things but what she's doing in the story and what she's getting across the side of of the turtles and the idea of being a mutant and the isolation and all that sort of stuff what what she's writing in the books is so good that yeah it gets five stars from me yeah no i think it's one of the few comics that i've stuck with for the last well so back mid in the 20s i got into it so three four five years now possibly longer did you read the secret history of the foot clan story arc uh It, it was around the same i think it came just after city fall I think, and it was quite possibly, like I say, I'm quite far behind on some of them. I've been the last stuff I've been reading is the last Ronin that have been coming at us. All right, what Christie did you think special. of that? I'm enjoying it so far. It's obviously it's an alternate timeline, future story kind of thing. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's one of those ones. I'm enjoying it from issue to issue as to how it satisfying it's going to be as a whole story. It's one of those because obviously it's building up to mysteries i like how each issues after the first one where you didn't know which was the last surviving turtle that you were following yeah because you think it's Raphael. yeah because he's gone through the wall mega violent and it's yeah. just sort of taken and then the following issues sort of show you how each turtle's fallen so far mm. um which is quite interesting um like I say, I'm holding off on full judgment until I've seen it as a whole piece. But I'm certainly compelled to come back to the next issue at the end of each one. Yeah, the the thing for me is, like, when it, with um with the turtles like into the the late '80s and then into the '90s with the '90s boom of comics, everything ended. Every character ended up just having loads of pouches covered in weapons. <laughs> and just shredding everything apart you know and the image factor wasn't it yeah and i i do worry with the last ronin because of the way that the comic book the main story has gone into quite 
uh, emotional and political storytelling and, and motivations and things. I think that this might be their uh, other title to um, sort of fill that hole of, well, this one's just balls to the wall action, if you know what yeah. I mean. Which yeah, is no, I, I get that. I totally understand that. But for me, it's the attraction with the turtles was more their interactions and their isolations for for guys in a world that doesn't accept them. Yeah. Um, rather than the the sort of let's give them machine guns and have them just go crazy, which, which they did in in the nineties in the uh, was it the image run I think when they image or oh it was the other one that had it I think it was the image run wasn't it Yeah, it was the image run where they started off the first issue. The first thing they did was like blow up Raph's face and turn. Uh, Donatello into a robot version that could his arm could morph into a machine gun and you know like it just like everything at that time everything had to be turned up to 20 and mm. you know go over the top so like the last Ronin when I dipped into that first one I thought oh, this might be straying into over the top territory for me but saying that with a second issue they they brought it back a little bit and they started to tell more story and I thought I think that they um they just wanted to sell an awful lot of that first book by by doing those old tricks. Yeah, like I say, I, there's a beautiful. I'm viewing it as sort of an Elseworld kind of story rather than, which I suppose you're supposed to. That's how you suppose. Or was it the Dreamwork? No, it wasn't the Dreamwave ones, was it? The Dreamworks ones were offshoots from the 2012 cartoon, weren't they? That's it, the Dreamwave. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were cool. That was um, God, what was the the artist on that? I know he went on to do Cannon Busters, I think, the uh, the Netflix cartoon, the series that's on Netflix. But he, um, yeah, he did the artwork for those DreamWorks ones. Really uh, cool. LeSean Thomas. That's the one, LeSean Thomas, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing those and thinking, okay, this guy's got a really cool style. He's something about him. And then he started to pop up and other stuff. And now he's doing Netflix animated series. He's cool. Have you seen the uh, statue they brought out for the last Ronin? Yes, it is Stunning. pretty cool. It is pretty cool, yeah. We've kind of got the three go, kind of like the three spirits behind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it is really nice. I love the um, the way the hood sort of comes down to a peak. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had the design. Yeah. Um. Yeah, just quickly then, because I'm conscious that we're about to hit the three-hour mark. <laughs> um, yeah, um, it's one for, down. <laughs> for those interested in my Bone reread, I've now I'm halfway through book two. Oh, you rereading Bone, are you? Yeah, because I realised that I again I got into it about halfway in, and I've never gone back and read the early ones, but I bought the complete book. Ah, oh, wicked! Well, it's, it's, it's say, such a beast that it's always sort of. I, I started rereading it myself about four oh. days ago. <laughs> uh, is that what was behind you when we were on video? Yeah, I am. thought I recognised the thickness of that brick. Yeah. That I'm, sounds dirty, uh, sorry. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I thought I'd angled my camera so you wouldn't be able to see it. <laughs> yeah, I've just got to the end of the Great Cow Race and I'm about to start the Lonesome Road, so... Um, just before that, I've just done the mystery cow. It was the last chapter I read, so it's the great cow race next. Are you enjoying it? I am. Like I say, I always enjoyed it. 
I can, it's been so long that I can't definitively remember the end because it's been yeah. so long since I read those comics. So I'm kind of coming into it fresh again. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I've got. Um, I know some people have said that the first couple of books are a bit of a slog, but I'm not finding them to be that. Oh man, I don't find any of it a slog. The way that he, the way he lays out his panels and the way that everything just flows so naturally. You know, as a cartoonist, he's an absolute master. Yeah. You just flick through these pages so effortlessly. And it's, it's just it's beautiful art. The way he draws Thorn is beautiful. The way he draws the rat creatures and the dragon. Yeah. It's dirty, dirty rat creatures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Grandma Ben. Yeah, she Grandma is Ben is such an character. awesomely designed character. Yeah. Um but, it, but it yeah, just, no, I'm loving it. But it was such it's such a thick book that I think for a long time just the sheer size of it was too dawn for me to ever actually pick it up and get stuck into. But I oh, tried to set my two based on that comic smell, they do intention fails every year. Right. Tried to set myself up three intention fails, which I know I'm probably only gonna do one, but it's bone. I want to reread the Too Much Coffee Man omnibus, and I want to reread Strangers in Paradise again. But I'm pretty sure Bone's going to be the only one I manage this year potentially. But again, I'm taking my time. I'm doing a chapter at a time and enjoying it rather than plowing through it. Yeah. Which I know some people like to plow through comics and read like six books in a day. I'm more of a slow reader, and it's just taking in the R as well. I tell you what, with regards to. Um... Like people say, oh, what sort of things would you recommend looking at to get inspiration for art or, you know, drawing comics or anything like that? I think no matter what style you want to draw in, if you want to, to look at something to learn how to tell a story, Bone is the place to go. Mm. Those panels, yeah. the way yeah. he uses his, his light, his, he uses the blacks to fill shapes, the the motion, the way he, he he makes the main character move where all the characters move to be honest the panel layouts just it's um it's just a masterclass. yeah it's beautiful. have you got the art of bone book that they released after the series ended i haven't no it's it's a very nice book i haven't got it to hand but i'm gonna have to look that one up i didn't realize they'd done an art of yeah i'll uh do a bit of a google search on that one yeah, it's a bit like that Turtles book. It's that sort of size, hardback. Yeah. It might be softback by now, but... Oh, that's cool. But yeah, no, it's a really nice book as well. Um, yeah, other than that, I've been reading... Daryl Thorpe did a new... Daryl Thorpe, rather, or Thorpey. Um, Thorpe did a new mini-comic, Bugman, which I enjoyed. I quite like he's doing these dirty little... Not dirty, but, you know... <laughs> sort of underground sort of yeah mini comics and just sending them out to people digitally for free that's cool i really enjoyed that and i've been re obviously following the um tribute press patreon uh, been enjoying that stuff but that's been it like i say bone's been my big focus so the the to read pile continues to grow but what about you andy what comics have you read he said knowing what the answer is going to be <laughs> Well, I still wanted to read all the... I got like three or four of the Judge Dredd omnibuses to get through, and I haven't opened them yet. <laughs> um, but i tell you what I have read, um, and I've just finished... I don't know if I mentioned it to you. Um, I've just finished... Um, prod, oh, sh- um, oh, 
bloody hell, I can't remember what it's called now. It was the, the guy who wrote The Martian. This is new. Is it Project Oh, Mary? you said that last time, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cool. Great book. Um, shit, what was it called? It was not Project Eden, was it? Project something or Hail Mary. Project Hail Mary, that's what it was called. And that's really good. It's uh, very much like The Martian, if you enjoyed The Martian. Um, but a little bit more sci-fi-ish, where The Martian was a little, where was, well, it was quite, it was believable. Grounded sci-fi. Uh, or the um, the science equations that actually were real, even though the sci-fi element was somebody on Mars. This one has all got the science elements that apparently are real, but it's a little bit more far-fetched, a little bit more, you know, sci classic sci-fi. Yeah, great, really good. I recommend cool. that. But no, I haven't read any comic books. I also picked up Only What's Necessary, the Charles M. Schultz and the Art of Peanuts book. Oh, no way. Because I'm doing cool. the um, nerd strips now on Instagram. Mm. I thought I might as well try and get some hints from somebody you might know a little bit or two about doing them. So, but then Alan Henderson told me to fuck off. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> so I bought a Schultz book instead. I'm... <laughs> um, I have a uh, peanuts commission on at the moment um, oh. from a guy in Tokyo, which is really random. <laughs> I love peanuts. I'm going to have to get Apple TV Plus on the trial just yeah. so I can watch the documentary that's on there. Mm. It's a whole TV show. There's a whole series. You'd be sneers on the series on there. I know. I just really want to watch the documentary. I is need that, to. That the one about when I've got shots. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. It's really good. Cool. Is yeah, it really good? Um, I love that. I love the um, Dear Mr. Waterson documentary that they did as that the guy did as well about um, Bill Waterson, Calvin and Hobbes. Which, although it doesn't have Bill Waterson in it, because you know he's a private man and he doesn't want all that yeah, sort of fuss. He don't want anything to do with anything, does he? He's just happy to let the art speak for itself. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. <laughs> I'm you kind don't of get him out there spreading his dirty business, do you? It's what always pisses me <laughs> off on Facebook when you see those, you know, the T-shirt any true Calvin and Hobbes fan needs to own. It's like, well, no, if you're a true Calvin and Hobbes fan, you'll know that you wouldn't allow anything to go on merchandise. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off with your shoddy knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, what about you, Steve? Anything you've been reading that's been? Uh, well, standard? like I said, I've, I've restarted Bone the other day, but the other thing I've Copycat. been reading which is um, really cool. It's called Beasts of Burden. Oh, cool. And it's by um, Evan Dorkin and Jill Thompson. It's an old dark horse collected hardback. But it's about, it's basically um, horror tales, but from the perspective of a group of suburban pets. Right. So they um, they want to protect their neighbourhood and they all, they all gather in, in each other's front yards and things. And they'll say, oh, have you, did you hear that noise last night, the howling coming from the woods? Or, and they'll say, oh, it's just the stray cats or something. And they end up on their daily wanderings around, suddenly seeing strange little, maybe like satanic symbols carved into trees or a skeleton of a stray cat or something. And, and it inevitably ends up being something paranormal, like um, uh, the spirit of an old stray dog who was hit by a car might come and haunt them or something like that. And it's it's all beautifully painted jill thompson's artwork is incredible but nice. it, it also because it's told from the point of view of the animals 
there's all these re- really nice kind of um insecurities and um like that come through in the characters because obviously you've got like the dog that wants to pr- protect his owners who doesn't want to go too far from his house so you've got the the little yappy pug who doesn't want to go too far because his legs are too short and so they, they've all got like these kind of complaints or um uh fears but then when things kick off and the supernatural happen they all club together to protect each other and they work together as a cool little kind of scrappy group um and because it's dogs i'm instantly interested yeah it's um yeah it's really good the artwork is is beautiful and because it's quite bright watercolors it looks quite cute and cuddly but then as it goes on it gets some real like cool spooky dark shit going on like satanic cults and um like uh, zombie stray cats and these big like weird strange uh, demonic toads and things on the edges of the um the housing estate that, are, that mm-hmm. means that creatures are going missing and it's just that like the slow wander as they go from the territory that they know which is their neighborhood out into the wilds and things and coming across other stray creatures who say oh it's okay for you guys you've got homes and owners we have to survive out here amongst all these these elements and things and then just like really cool characters really cool stories definitely recommend it awesome i'll have to check that out i like evan dawkin as well and, and jill thompson's artwork is yeah incredible. just get a really nice um dark horse hardback collected versions of it cool all right and just quickly because like i say we're aware of it um do a couple of shout outs so uh, podcast shout out i'm going to shout out series two of this foul earth which ended last sunday as well worth checking out if you like john tucker's comics or you like just slightly surreal slice of life life of comedy um i highly recommend checking that out uh andy you got any podcasts you want to shout out uh not podcast no no steve um i will shout out the wolf and owl podcast which is tom davies and uh ramesh ranganathan just chatting about the fact that they're sort of they feel they're big ugly losers who've managed to actually make it somewhere um despite their flaws and just taking the piss out of each other but it's just a really good funny heartfelt chat between two like long-term friends really good stuff awesome um artists any artists you want to share andy yeah, I've got a couple of Instagram accounts that are worth uh, checking out. One's called Clog2, C-L-O-G-T-W-O, and it's a guy who's just incredible um, with his details, and he does a lot of big robot prints, um, really heavily into his details, very kind of Japanese kind of Gungan kind of style. He's got, he's got a great Godzilla one on there as well. Cool. Um, I'd also uh, like to... Uh, there's also a um, another one called Nutting But Mac. No, nothing. N-U-T-H-I-N, but Mac. And uh, I've got a couple of their books as well. They, they basically, they um, kind of collect different artists together and they're absolutely fantastic. Really worth a look for inspiration. And finally, um, I'm just scrolling to find out his name. There's also an amazing artist um called 
Albanez Rodriguez, quite a famous guy. Um, but some of his caricatures that he does, the lighting on it is just bonkers. I mean, they uh, some of his the lighting on it, as I said, the colour palettes on it is just so um, kind of like a realistic tones given to him. You should check out the um, uh, the Natalie Portman from Neon one, which I will send to you. Actually, it's fantastic. It's just bonkers because he's got such a realism there. And it is a caricature, but it's not a funny caricature, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the lighting on it is just immense. And I, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll send a link to you guys now so you can check it out. Yeah, if you um, send me a link for all of them, I'll put them in the show notes. Okay, do. What we'll also do, if it's all right with Steve, if we can um, stick to so the, the drawings that we were talking about, the progress shots, if we yeah. can stick them up on Facebook as well. So if you yeah, guys want to have, have a read. Just checking out that Albanez Rodriguez. The the lighting he uses is incredible. You found him, have you? Have you yeah. seen the, the the girl from Leon and Natalie Portman from Leon? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, the the colour and the lighting and everything is brilliant. Yeah, definitely stunning stuff. Steve, any artists you want to shout out? Or? Um, there's a guy called Jerome Jacinto who I think is Sinto six one nine. So S I N T O. 619 on um the old instagram he does incredible anthropomorphic paintings uh it's not just his paintings also his sketches and his etchings the way that he draws the forms and and the um the movements of these anthropomorphic characters is just second to none definitely check out his work what was awesome. that again sinto what sorry sinto 619 Six, I've got it. S I N T O. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, he, he blows me away. His, his painting abilities are incredible, but also just the characterization and the expression he gets in his figures is, is brilliant. He hasn't even got that many followers. Blimey. Yeah, he's an absolute legend. Oh, he's got an awesome danger mouse on there. <laughs> Not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then finally, uh, Kickstarter. So I'm going to shout out Sugarcane Cyberpunk from uh, Kev Coolin, um, which is running until the 10th of August. And it's an A5 sketchbook containing 38 original characters from the world of Sugarcane, a cyberpunk future. Um, Kev did a little prose preview a year or so ago. Um, which is really good um, yeah if you can if you, I'll put the link in the show notes as always but if you like the look of it and you can give it some support check it out um, yeah it's a really good looking book and Kev's a good bloke because I come to Troobes every year well every year we do it I assume <laughs> he's not there when we don't do it <laughs> but yeah um, Andy any kickstarters yeah Matt Dixon we all know what I think of Matt Dixon um, he's just released a... <laughs> you said that like a, we all know. Oh, yeah. Well, we do. Uh, I've, I've, I've um, yeah, nicked his boots enough time on this podcast. Um, <laughs> he's um, released, just done a Kickstarter for a book of, an A5 book of all of his warm-up sketches, digital warm-up sketches. And it's got the best title for any book. It's called Spontaneous Unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> and... 
it's great and so i've been mean, far i mean i follow him on patient anyway and um it's great um, some of his like 10 minute sketches are just mind-blowing um awesome. so so yeah are you steve are you aware of matt dixon i'm sure i've seen it. that name really rings a bell He's the guy, for instance, if you've seen the O2 adverts on the TV. Oh, of course I know. Yeah, the robot dude, the adverts ripped off. That's Well, actually, he he had designed that character. He was actually the designer on it. Oh, they they paid him to do it, did they? They paid him to do it, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Because he did, um, he brought out books. I think they were called like Transmission or something. Transmissions, yeah. All all seven of them, yeah. Yeah, my boss bought bought a couple of those because he loves loves the design on on that so when that advert came out i remember yeah. thinking, i hope that guy is getting paid because <laughs> yeah he was one of the does he was one of the artists on it yeah he nice. designed the robot cool and steve any yeah. kickstarters you want to shout out yeah there's one called mother trucker the cutoff <laughs> and mother the trucker the cutoff is a sci-fi comic book about a space trucking ass stomping wrestling goddess yay it's very very silly um like a sort of 80s wrestling character crossed almost a bit like with lobo as he flies across the universe just body slamming the head out of bad guys and all that sort of thing yeah i just i got sent a, a message from the guy who did it earlier today drawing my attention to it and um it's it's like wrestlemania in space and um yeah awesome it reminded me a bit of um the gga the the galaxy grappling alliance that damien yeah yeah. which is also really really cool so it's got that sort of vibe to it so yeah check that out check that out definitely um and obviously check out battle badges as well shameless plug (laughs) 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 yeah (laughs) awesome we'll put the links for all of those Kickstarters and the Battle Badgers Kickstarter in the uh, show notes. Um, where else can people find you online, Steve, if they want to see more of your dirty business? <laughs> I think they've had enough of it, haven't they? Um, yeah, well, I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Battle Badgers on Twitter, um, Instagram. I can't remember what my name or handle is on the Instagram. So we'll uh, put them all in the yeah, show notes. Um, yeah just generally around if you google beast hunting battle badges something will pop up and there'll be a link to bother me if you want to <laughs> steve sims illustration on instagram yep that's the one that's my my other website yeah i haven't updated that for ages but yeah check out check it out and send me a message if you're interested or want to know about my dirty business <laughs> <laughs> that's all right he knows your instagram but now when i ask him for his andy <laughs> Oh, hang on, hang on. Uh, I am. Uh, I think I am Artist, Is that right? I think so. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I Again, it will be in the show notes. So. Yeah. I am Zootartist, all one word, or my website, and I know this one. It's www.iamzoot.com or .co.uk. Bugger. Awesome. Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the things. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes to my link tree because I just find that's easier now. And then you can find them all on that. Um, you can find the nodes who want themselves on the link on... tree as well. Hey, who's on link tree? What? Is your only fans on? Hey? No, my my only fan doesn't <laughs> like me fan. shouting about it. So, um, yeah, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, whatever all the other ones are, Spotify, Podbean. 
um do that thing where you like and review the show if you can be asked if you can't don't worry it's meant to help algorithms but i don't give a shit <laughs> six <laughs> years not? into it now <laughs> i think if we were gonna have a big break we would have had it by now <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um those who haunt themselves as well you can find on facebook instagram twitter on instagram every friday a new nerds cartoon strip goes up um they're, they're silly cartoon strips if dad jokes and i rolls are your kind of thing yeah i love it then check love it out it. <laughs> and yeah that's it for this week i'd like to thank andy for joining me as always no problem and steve for sitting in the metaphorical third chair cheers guys cheers thanks for coming on Thanks for putting out all my dirty business everywhere. That's all right. <laughs> go, go and clean yourselves now. Thanks for entertaining, Andy. Thank <laughs> you. He's been, he's been chomping at the bit for some decent art chat. <laughs> uh, all he gets from me is very much a Homer Simpson, how many crowns I can fit up my nose. <laughs> as long as you're going up the nose, that's all right. <laughs> well, check out my OnlyFans. for. <laughs> 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 and on that bombshell, uh, uh, this has been a Nose of Autumn Sales production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. And until next time, read some awesome comics, create some awesome things, and keep spreading the four color word. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>